With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. to the true light with Sayyid al-Imam Isa al-Hadi al-Mahdi in a live question and answer session. Can you tell me who Yanin is? <laughs> Yanin is an extraterrestrial being who incarnates of the 19 galaxies and they do travel by ships as you would call them for lack of a better word and they've been intergalactically traveling and coming to this planet since 11,500 years ago. And Yanun is one of the masters that's been assigned to awake you people up. Because you people are a portion of ancient uh, births of the Jabariyans, as you probably don't even know what that means. Right? And some of you must be walking up. And so masters would come. The master that you saw was called Rama. If you would have gotten a closer look at him, 
He comes from 4,000 years before Jesus. If you'd have got a closer look at him, you would have saw that he had white hair and red eyes. He's a caramel complexion, fairly thin, and his name is Rama. He visits this planet many times. He lives in Shambhala. I don't care how crazy it sounds to you, or one day you'll find out it's true anyway. That in the center of your planet, there is another world in the center. There's subterranean pathways to different chambers in the center of your planet. The pyramids are entrances there, and so are the pyramids out in South America and the Nairobi Desert and out at the Antarctic is the entrance in. And Yadin is one of the masters of the school of the birds. They call him the feathered bird. This is why in South America, when they, when they look over the sky and they see this image of this bird on the ground, that is his school. So certain arriving masters to this plane knew what school they would go to. Each galactical, what do you call it, body had their own school on this planet. Muslims uh, don't realize that throughout the Holy Quran, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about angelic beings coming to earth, You've interned them because of Christianity in the 18th century into little white babies with wings when you're talking about celestial and terrestrial beings or extraterrestrial beings who have been visiting y'all for a long period of time. Because some of you are the sons and daughters of extraterrestrials who came here and you have to be brought back to power to defend this planet against the destruction by Azazel and what they refer to as Lucifer, and the other 200 fallen angels, which were, again, extraterrestrial beings who invaded this planet 6,000 or 5,000 some odd years ago and have been ruling, and have caused the masses to either hover or to go into the subterranean parts of the planet, and they just come up to either ascend to the earth to teach man or they will make intergalactical communications leave and come back. And this is what Elijah saw. This is what Jesus said when he said he was caught up in a whirlwind in the cloud and went up. The whirlwind in the cloud is the ship itself. Elijah was taken up in a chariot. And Enoch was translated into heaven by a chariot. It's throughout the scriptures. And three men visited Abraham at his tent. And then one went up. And the other two went on down into Sodom to try to talk Lot and his family into coming out. You know, these these stories that you have interpreted in the scriptures strictly as religious dogma because of the translations by the Christian churches, etc., who had no knowledge of extraterrestrial, they have turned the spiritual, the spiritual community of beings who have existed in other galaxies into gods or into angels and gave them a bunch of names that didn't apply to them. And so you just happen to talk, mention one, who is very powerful, Yanun, his name is, they say Yanin, it's also, it's pronounced Yanun, depending on the dialect of what galaxy you're in, the pronunciation changes. And in the one you described was another one called Rama, who's asking you about Yanin because Yanin is a sign to give your answers about the things that you need to know in this time and the time that you've come from to be able to distinguish there are 144,000 who would be those extraterrestrial beings, prepare them to create that whirlwind and make that 
ascension out of this state, which they call the rapture, rising up from the earth while it goes to its turmoil with the Lamb, as they refer to him, which is merely a symbol of a humble being from an extraterrestrial. And Isa and Miriam, alayhi salama, was caught up between the two because he was one of the only Jabarian of his time, meaning he was the only, what well, I say Jabarian of his time, the only being of his time that an angelic being, as you call him, extraterrestrial, came down and went into a woman again like they did way back in Genesis and gave birth to this being who was partly angelic and partly man so that he could try to raise your, your spiritual consciousness. But man was not ready. So Allah saw fit to send after him a mortal who would be guided by a Jabarian, which was the Prophet Muhammad, وسلم, who would be guided by the angel Jibrail, who was an uh, extraterrestrial, because the methods of reaching man through his spiritual awareness, like Jesus, Jesus didn't work. Man was going to kill him, but they didn't understand what he was doing. And the more he would execute the power of healing and things to show them that they had the same power, some of them, because that's what he said, I only was sent to a certain group, a lost sheep. I got to find a certain group of people, you know, but the people who he was not sent to, they didn't like him, they persecuted him, and in, and in turn wanted to kill him. So Allah, the islands were fit to send another being, which you all call the comforter, which was Muhammad, and have the angel visit him who would be an extraterrestrial to guide him and give him the Qur'an, the final text that will teach you about your intergalactic traveling and how you got him. Why the Qur'an says, we sent you down to earth. <laughs> they keep missing it says, when there's a turmoil in the garden in heaven, that we cast you down to earth in the Qur'an. From where? The angels come down. From where? From floating around in the sky. No, they sent you down to which is Earth, the blue planet, they sent you here from other galaxies. When you violated the law, intergalactical law, you were cast down here like prison. You all are, are away with, as you would call it. I don't know a better word for it. That you all are in sign to a prison. Earth is a prison that you all are in. And you are people who rebel, who would listen to Satan, as you call him, which was of the Azilla then, or Tanush, you listen to him, you follow, and you've been assigned to earth until you overcome that, until you turn and give your total reverence to Hua, Allah, Allah, La ilaha illa Hua. But you incorporate in that, even that when you say Hua, you have to say God, Allah, God, God, Allah, you keep interjecting. You personified him and said he was master for our Muhammad or he was Yahweh ben Yahweh. You always have to do something rather than to just serve the omnipotent source of the Hawa or way is inside you, the essence of life. So now you've been assigned to this prison, which is called Ardus, the blue rock earth, until you, which they say, are born again. And born again of what they say? Of the body of the spirit. Of the spirit, y'all must be born again of the spirit. You must be transformed from being this mortal being who is destined to die back to immortality. 
You follow? You must become a supreme being again in order to be worthy of intergalactical traveling again. So now what has happened, the devil's seed is in the earth, mixing in with the God seed as you have it, and it's keeping you all bound to the planet and creating new dogmas every day, new deviations from the fundamental truth and calling it religions and sects and all different types of dynamics, Sunni, Shia, Ahmadiyya, Bilalian, black Muslims, Hindu, Buddhists, and just creating new dogmas to keep you from seeing the state of Surah al-Mufaqeen, as they call it, the Surah al-Mufaqeen, the state way of those who made the pathway through the galaxies. The Surah al-Mufaqeen, Surah al-Mufaqeen, Surah al-Mufaqeen, they're telling you, I want to be guided and I want to be guided to that way. I want to get back out of here. Surah al-Ravina and Amta alayhim. The still in that surah of those who you are giving your grace, Allah Ta'ala. I don't want to be like those people who got the everlasting curse, who damned to this earth forever. Or those who deviated off that path that was leading from Malakut to Nasut and went somewhere else. Or as they translated in modern times, have left the path of Deen al-Islam and went into other denominations of thought. And you deviate from the path of Deen al-Islam when you deviate from the path of Mila Ibrahim. When you deviate from the religion that Allah Ta'ala gave to the Prophet Adam which was the, the, the way you should work your way back to Jannah to Idris, back out of this plane and back into Malakut, the domain of angelic beings from which most of you have come. But some people here have made an everlasting pact with a Zazila, a Zazila or Tanush, this being who ruled in, who tried to overthrow Mikael in Malakut prior to the birth of your planet as a result of that, was cast down. Some mortals have to come to him and begin to worship him in a subtle kind of way. One of his names is God. And they have taken and called the Lord God and Jehovah God in in Ahmed, etc., etc., etc. You follow? So you just happen to touch on a very sensitive subject. And you all, uh, I am here to try to bring you all back to that teaching. But I gotta start with what you understand. I gotta start giving you what you think you want, so you learn how to think on the level of what I have to give or what you know you need. But I can't start by pouring out. I've been teaching for 20 years on Earth, in and out, visiting in and out of here. Different beings speak to you at different times through me, different trying to answer all of your questions to prepare you for the real knowledge real information that you have to have after you get through wobbling in how great you are and how you got here and how you're Abraham and your Peter and your this, when you finish all that ego tripping, then I can get down and teach you the truth about things and prepare those who are supposed to leave here to prepare so when the ship does come, they can go. You follow? And I know that sounds crazy, but he wants to make me sound crazy. That's why he made movies like Star Trek. Because he knew this knowledge. The devil, he believes he knows these things. And that's why he saturates the television with about a, a bunch of things like fiction, so that when the final truth comes, I say, your whole concept of 
because religion and the Bible is wrong. You don't even know what you're talking about. You're talking about intergalactical beings. You're not talking about angels. You're talking about the ultimate source of all existence. You're not talking about God and Jehovah. Those are just expressions. When you say Allah, you're saying Elahuah. Yahoo, oh, he who is. And you cannot define him while still confined to this prison called the physical body on earth. It's amazing. <laughs> this is amazing to me to hear people from this planet <laughs> asking questions about such intricate things. <laughs> it is really amazing. I don't, you don't even hear yourself. That's what's so funny. You don't, you don't even hear yourself. You hear yourself talk to me. But you don't even understand half the things you're asking him. It's amazing to find that the spiritual people here are beginning to wake up. It is not about a water religion. You know what I mean by a water religion? When they dip you in some water and say you're baptized, or some, or you or go to Mecca and then say I'm a Muslim, where it's just the physical aspect of the deed, it's amazing that y'all are now probing into the esoteric part of your existence and trying to get a better understanding of the real you and not the synthetic you that you call your body. It's a wonderful day. Yo, Hadi. I want to ask a question. First of all, wait, let me correct him. El Hadi is my father's name. Imam. <laughs> okay. What is it, what is it meant lately? I've been getting the flash in front of me, the white fog, like I'll be standing or I'll be in a certain place and I'll see a white, like a white, uh, like a... White mist. A mist, yeah. Um, how do you know that? Because I know what it is. A mist in front of me and it just comes and it stays there for a second. Then it'll go. Then I can move and I'll go to another place and my mind just be, you know, I don't be thinking about anything in particular. All of a sudden it flash in front of me but I can't really, you know, figure out. You haven't had, see, the thing is, you're looking, at, you're looking at beings who are here in the Earth's atmosphere trying to reverse the negative flow of current that's here, okay? You can't assimilate them because you haven't developed the, the inner part of you. You're developing, but you have not developed the inner part of you to be able to focus on them and take shape the way you do physical things, meaning, Human beings are under the impression that when they look at something, they really see it, and they don't. Everything you look at, if you look at the guy's head in front of you, you are looking at a reflection of light to the brain. You're not looking at the object. You follow that? You're looking out at something, it reflects back into the, on, in the brain, and then you decipher its color, its shape, its form, its size, etc. Okay? You have not been able to do that yet with the spiritual world. Sometimes the beings will personify for you or incarnate for you. But now you have to learn how to incarnate them. And then you will see them and they'll get in your way. Because <laughs> so you'll find the abundance of beings surrounding this earth plane trying from different galaxies to keep you from, you people from being destroyed by the cherubim. And we're trying to wake you up soon enough to get you back, but... Uh, it seems almost impossible. So many people have learned to love the cherubim as opposed to the seraphim. Okay? Why are we, we are the, the people of Solidarists, why, I mean, I know, we, how could, why would we allow ourselves to, why are we in this condition? Why can't 
within us, the inner being, could be brought forth. And the greatness that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put upon us. Our ancestors, these are the things that our ancestors did. And we are the children, our children's children. No, no. Your ancestors, let me correct you. Your ancestors were also being visited by beings to try to help them. Because in, in the realm that they were in, they had their degree of devilishment also. You follow Lot, don't forget Lot, turned against Abraham and went down to Sodom and Gomorrah because he thought it was a better place to be. So he turned against the village of peace and went into the city of New York, to the village, in the figure of speech, and wants to live in the village with those kind of people. It's been going on for a long period of time. And beings have been trying, but see, what is long to y'all is short to us. What 6,000 years is, a, is, a, is, a, is less than a day to us. The whole information of your whole planet could be absorbed in a couple of minutes by any master. All the information of your whole planet, you're developing rapidly, much more rapidly than you're supposed to. Recently this week, the snowstorm, was there any significance of the thunder and the lightning? Yes. If you would read a book that I've written called the Book of Revelations 4, I explained last year to expect these things. Some of the people in the class, I told them this is the worst weather you're going to have in, in a long time. And what has happened is there's a clash of currents in the universe now. This is going to sound crazy again. I have to keep saying that because people think I'm nuts. I don't mind being nuts. They're so beautiful, it's nuts. But there's a council that meets on all of the different planets that are in your solar system and outside your solar system. All right, your planet is lined up for evaluation next. So you have a lot of intergalactical traveling taking place here now. People coming in and going into the center of your planet. That's why they're saying there's so many UFO sightings all of a sudden. This is why people are turning back to the church. People are getting so spiritual all of a sudden. Everybody talking about the spirit and the Holy Ghost and being born again and being saved and becoming Muslim and becoming black Jew and becoming Hindu and becoming Swami and there's a yogi here and there's a yoga that. That is the work of the masses preparing you. When that happens, the currents go out. That's why all the prophecies said the sky shall be blackened and there shall be earthquakes and storms and the moon shall turn like red, turn to a ball of fire. This is the time. There's a galactical alignment. Y'all had a further alignment a couple of weeks ago. They didn't even tell you all that. They put it on the news after it happened. They never told you why. Because I told y'all that because there is no North Pole, every time the elders enter, the mothership comes over the North Pole, that magnetic thing, because those solar light reflections at the North Pole, those are ships coming in. And they throw your planet off. Your, your planet is off its axis already. It's 12 and a half degrees off now. Because of ships entering into the center, in the center of this planet, there's a sun. The diameter of it is 6,000 miles. And each layer of your sun, your planet, is not a solid. You couldn't be a solid and be six or trillion tons of weight with all the metals. This planet is, is, a, is not a solid, it's hollow. And in the center of it, there's, a, there's a, another whole empire which we all refer to as Atlantis or Lemuria. All right, there's two of them. They went for so long, so I'm not, I'm not going to start to explain the language. But the weather is out now because there's beings coming through, and they're interfering with your layers. Your ozone is thrown off now. 
Who are you going to have? Ask that brother. You think it's funny now? I'll give you two more weeks and see what happens. It's going to be so cold in March, it's going to be ridiculous. Your time belt is off. Your planet is working on a time belt. Time belt means you have ticks in your time. You follow? You have been calculating the ticks, but is ignoring the rest. You know anything about music? You know there's a beat and a rest, a beat and a rest. But when you're looking at your clock and the devil truly put batteries in to take out the ticks, because you were going tick, 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 tick. But in between those ticks, there was a rest that you were not counting. Instead of being 23 hours, 56 minutes, and 6 seconds, you really had 26 or 27 minutes. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm 48 minutes going in the same time. The beings that I'm speaking about, intergalactical beings, move on the rest of your time. It's a counter world, a fourth dimension, is linked to this three-dimensional world you're in. And when they're making communication to sit at the council with three persons in the Bible and the 24 elders around the throne with the four beasts or in Ezekiel, that same council that has been coming here since the beginning of your planet, right? When they're coming from other galaxies here to have a meeting on, on whether or not to let this planet destroy itself. This is what it is. You people have got to the point where you are about to destroy yourself and they're trying to save you, it says in Revelation. What about those who have the fear of the Father on them? The Master says, hold back the wind in Revelation. Don't destroy until we get there. But you won't come. It's right in the book. Don't destroy until we get there and the seal. But you won't come. Some of you are spiritual beings, I gotta tell you. When the sons of the Almighty came down centuries ago and went to the door of the man, they gave birth to what you call the Syrians or Jebarians. Supernatural beings who have now mingled among men so well that they forgot who they are, except for that dormant feeling that keeps looking and saying, why does everything happen to me? Why am I different? Why, I, why am I not enjoying this party the way they are? Why do I not want to get drunk and smoke people like they do? Why, do I, why am I sitting in church saying, I don't believe that, that white man that crosses Jesus? Why is something happening different? And other people in the same room are sitting there and accept anything. They just, and you look at them like, how can you accept anything anybody says? Or if you're one of those people, they always going say, why me? Why when they run, I'm the one that falls. Every ski, I get the broken ski. If I look, why am I the being in all this energy? Because the devil has a concentrated effort on your destruction. Because he knows that you are Jebelian. That you are from, uh, you're an intergalactical being. You're part human and part extraterrestrial. He knows that. And you cannot, you're like Jesus said, I'm caught up in two worlds. He said, he, he was having a problem. He said, my spirit is willing to test my flesh. There is so weak. If all, all of these collaborations of time, the alignment of the universe, the beings coming through, is why your weather's out. And it sounds like a science fiction movie. Because that's what he wants it to sound like. But it's true. I'll tell you something that will wake you up. The headache, the one-eye headache. You know what I'm talking about? That you get in that one eye is aggravating you, that nervous tension that you can't stop flopping, flopping your leg all of a sudden. 
the inconsistency with time. Like, it's Wednesday. What happened to Tuesday? Is this happening to some of you people in there? Well, that's because you are out of whack with what's going on. You're breaking your time barrier. You're not a tool no more. We are here for you, but you won't come. We can't take you back without teaching you first who you are and how you got here. And I'm not talking about Abraham and Jesus, though. The whole Bible story we learn in a second. That's your history. You got know, you know, one of the shortest histories of all everybody. We've been just over 716 years. We've been incarnating the planet since 11,500 years when we first built Atlantis here. There was mortals from the seas of the Nephilians who caused Atlantis to sink. A gap to the subterranean world, which is beyond the understanding. Now, now but you've got to relearn who you are. And how you got here so you can get out here and leave these mortals here. Because this planet is destined to destroy itself. And they're going to take you with them. And if your spirit is not developed far enough, you will be of premature birth. You'll be caught in the disruption of this planet. But um, the other thing was, if you are... If you are spiritual beings, then what is your purpose here? Mine? Yeah, yours and any other. Well, I'm a teacher. Mm -hmm. I'm a teacher who's come to get my students and prepare y'all for the war. We've had several wars against Azazel people before, and we've won. And every time they went somewhere else and colonized, now they've colonized here, and they've gotten you. I've got to come and separate you from them and turn you back into spiritual people so we can conquer him, which is whom you're called Satan, and prepare you all to go back to Malakut. Malakut, what do you think? What is that? There's three, there's three domains, and then there's lower and above. Nessus, Malakut, and Lahut going up. Nessus is the whole of Humane, which is what y'all are, the ones on earth. Malakut is your bowl of Malaic, angelic beings, as you call them. And Lahut is the throne of the Omnipotent with the seven veils. You follow? Okay. Solid, liquid, and gas? Okay. You're in solid. The angels are in liquid, and the Almighty is in a form of gas. Okay. All right? Now, the liquid can become vaporized into gas or hardened into a solid. Now, I'm here to turn the solid back into a base, into a liquid, and then back into a gas. You follow? But they're so intermingled with the mortals here, it's hard to find who's who anymore. They do, they're so well trained to act like the devil and live like him and walk like him and love like him and lust like him, and it's hard to find the good ones from the bad ones. Now, it's quite a confusing job when you meet people, you think they're spiritual beings, you start teaching them, and they're really nothing but physical, total physical, and it becomes bewildering. How would I know for myself? You do know it for yourself. You already know if you're a spiritual being because you're not content here. When you look up at the sky, you get to stare. When they discuss UFOs, it doesn't frighten you. You want to be, you want to be picked up by them. It's a different. Other people say, not me, I'm not going to go to the There's another people who say, 
Why don't I see that? You even look up at night out of your window and say, why can't I see one? When I take in the congregation from this community, I said, you want me to prove you that they exist? I took hundreds of them to the mountain and said, now watch, they're going to come from that direction. And I called them and they came. And they hold it above them. They saw with their own eyes. But they can call anybody crazy if they want. I, as long as I got company in this insanity, I feel good. <laughs> but they saw with their own eyes the ship. And they, I told them what to chant, and they chanted, and the ship came close, being light, and took off. I said, that, those people are waiting to take you. That was it. That's my job. And you have got to accept it before he realizes how dangerous I am, and then I'll have to leave. And many times as we're sent to you, you either turn us into gods, or you call us prophets, or you got all kinds of crazy names you make up, because the men here cannot follow another what appears to be moral without making them some type of a deity. Because they can't see themselves. I mean, I'm a man too, so he must be God. <laughs> and they can see themselves as, as students or neophytes, as you would have it. Learning, they don't they have to turn you into a god or something. But we would be gods compared to what the powers that you once had and that we have now. We would be gods compared to that. But you have the same power dormant. The same way your fingers there can play a piano. Right? Now, everybody can, but everybody has the ability to, who has working fingers to play the piano. Only a piano player knows that, though. And they say, well, I, anybody can play this thing. You only know that as a piano player, though. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes what happens to me is like there's this force that comes out, and it's like really bright and kind of warm, yes, but I can't seem to control when it comes out or when it doesn't. I know that when it does come out is when I've kind of left myself or my self-consciousness, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it'll be there. All right. Uh, and yeah. I notice that yeah. when that happens, whatever I need to have happen, it happens. Well, that's like you. That's the real you. When I, and, and you want to learn to control that? Right. You take and you put your hands in front. Everybody can't do this. You put your hands in front of your face, and you clap your hands. Until you create a hollow sound, not a slap. It's a hollow sound. Not just, you hear the difference? Okay. And once you've done that, you put your hands down on your lap and say to yourself, relax and let go. And just drop. Relax and let go. And just drop. And you feel your body start to. Relaxing your hands from where you slap them, you brought energy to them, start to tingle because the blood going back into the cell. But that blood is carrying carry oxygen energy. And you start to feel it move to the center of your body. And that, that feeling can start to come out. Then you stop it. It's exercise. You don't let it go. You stop it and you get up and go about the business. And you practice it a little bit every day. And you let it come out a little further each day. And then you will control how well it travels and where it goes. But I, I noticed that other people can see it. The, of course they can. But I didn't think, I thought, at first I thought only I could see it. Because that's easy. Then you don't have to explain it. <laughs> it's so much easier. <laughs> because no, when people think they say, hey, what's that? And then you got to say, I don't know. <laughs> like I said earlier, you don't take on the responsibilities of things that you are. 
You refuse them. I'm not, I'm not going to explain that. They just leave it alone. So you would have to pursue the meaning of it in order for you to explain it. And that you don't feel like being bothered with. So you're, you're frightened about what it might really be. Well, now you know it's really the essence of you. It's the higher of you, the real you. Now become familiar with it. And when you hear that high-pitched sound, it usually precedes it in your ear, that little high-pitched sound, move your body to vibrate at that point. You understand? Usually before it will happen, listen, you hear like a high buzzing sound above you. Right? Move your body up to that point. Sit and, and place yourself at a point where you have a level, where you say, I'm at the middle. Say it, your mind. I'm at the middle or I'm at the bottom or the top. And then envision the, that sound above you and pull yourself up to that point with that sound. You understand? And it can open up and you'll see a ship. If, if you're convinced that it won't frighten you, that's also part of that fear. When the adrenaline raises, the sense of adrenaline, which is the killer instinct in human beings, will frighten the angelic beings away. Because man doesn't have any of killer instinct. And that sense comes up when the adrenaline moves. And all creatures know that you're about to kill with or without reason. So even angelic beings withdraw when that fear comes out of you. When you get scared, they move away from you. Okay? Imam Isa, I want you to uh, further elaborate on that word cherubim and where they came from and what their purpose here is. You want me to or would you like me to? Yeah, I, I would like you oh, to. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, <laughs> Before the creation of human beings, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created a realm called Malakut. This realm was inhabited by two races of beings that had various species. These two races were called, in your present-day language, cherub and seraphim. They were what you refer to as angelic beings. But just like you have the two races on earth today, which came out of that, you follow? Prior to this, there was two on a spiritual plane. The ruler of this, or the Khalifa, of that realm was called Mikael, which is Melchizedek, or El Khidir, which comes from the word Mik, to be like Muslim, to be like Allah. He was the angel who ruled all the archangels. Okay? And they ruled this, this abode called Malakut, prior to the creation of Adam in the physical form. And then, certain beings within the race of the cherub wanted to rule that domain because Michael spent so much time behind the fifth veil of Lahut, which which starts another whole conversation, which I try not to go to, and rebelled against Michael's rule, which caused a battle in the domain of Malakut, which you all call the Battle of the Angels. You see? And 
the angels that stayed with Michael, the seraphim from his race, were successful over the cherubim. And the cherubim were utterly removed from the plane of Malakut, except some of them who did not follow the wicked one, which is not who you know as a Zazil or a Bliss. This is before him. Okay? What Mikhail did was he took one of these young children as an example, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put the tree as an example of good and evil. He put one of them in the midst of the seraphim to see if they could repent, you know, save this race by raising him in truth, the light of the green light as opposed to the red light. They're two colors. Okay. This being that they raised became known he was from amongst a race called the jinn. He was called Jan, the father of the jinn. They were the Kafiruna originally, who covered the truth about the laws of Malakut prior to Emis. This child, Jan, was from amongst the species of cherubim. The father? Okay. <clears throat> so, after they took this child, Jan, and put him amongst the seraphim to raise him in knowledge to reform them. But this being raised up again when Allah Ta'ala confronted the angels up there, which are the seraphim, that he was going to create a Khalifa for the next abode, the next evolutionary stage, which is called Nassau, which you're on now, the planet Earth. And he would create him in spirit first, and then give him a perfected body. And he would be able to procreate like Allah. Because the angels couldn't do that. Procreate, have children. But Iblis, being from the Kafirun, could do that. They had the power of the red light. Fire can make more fire, in other words. All right. But the seraphim were from the light of Allah. They didn't. He merely thought them into existence. They were lesser degrees. So this being, at a youthful age, raised up again and rallied the other cherubim that stayed behind. You follow? The ones who were not totally destroyed. And they caused revolt in heaven a second time about the birth of a being called Adam to you. Because he told them that they were created in this being, Adam, because they were created of Narun Salun. Narun, and not Nur. But the cherubim were Nar, and the seraphim were Nur, the light. And Nar is the fire. You see? When he, Iblis, who was called Azazila when he was cast down, and Lucifer, as you call him, raised up, they questioned Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through Mikael and said, where are you about to create another mischief maker? He was referring to beings like his descendants 
who caused mischief and shed blood? The Lord's answer was through Mikhail. I know what you do not know. You see? So this being, Jan, was very vexed at the creation of a being now of what he considered a lesser nature. He was going to be created of thin, of clay, shapes of fallen, masnoon in fashion from ham and black mud. And they couldn't, he said, I am better than him. He was big chested with pride. I am greater than him. And the angrier he became, the more of the sin came from him. Simon is when a person is huffing and puffing out of anger, the wind, the heat that comes from them is a poisonous thing that even you do when you get mad. We go, I hate this person. This is the sin in people. That's why they call him Uncle Sam when he sets out and send men to go on the other side of the world to kill other people, and they call it the war. Uncle Sam, Uncle Samun, this is the principle he's been using since he's come, before he came to this planet. Okay? Now, this may sound crazy to y'all, but I'm sorry. So did the television 10, uh, 50 years ago. One day you'll find out this is all true. I'm telling you, because I was there. <laughs> I'm an extraterrestrial when incarnated. I don't want you to, I want you to think I'm crazy because that's what keeps me alive. <laughs> the fact that people think, think I'm crazy, they leave me alone. And that's good. So this being, Jan, who was Melo Catherine from the Catherine, stored in Melakut, in a, one of the lower planes of it, because each domain, the three domains have upper and lower planes or dimensions within dimensions. Seven to the seventh power of seven, as you have it. And certain of these angels, 210, 10 were the ones that survived. They call them the unholy angels, right? And 200, he reformed there with his anger against his destined being, Adam. That he felt he was better than. So when Allah blew of his roof into the soul, uh, his roof, his soul into the nest of Adam, and Adam became a living soul. Allah told the angels, prostrate, all of you, seraphim, cherubim, everybody, prostrate to this new created being. And they all did, except Jan. He was ballast, rebellious. Because he was from the Kafirun, from the seed of the old cherubim. He refused to do it. And Allah cast them all down here to earth. You see? And Satan, as he then became known, taking on a form of a peacock at certain times, an old person at another time, set out to deceive man. Man now had to prove that he was worthy of the throne that Allah Ta'ala created him on in heaven. You call it heaven or the Garden of Eden where rivers flow and his maiden. The maidens waiting in heaven are your brother and sister angelic beings that you were created amongst the seraphim. They're the ones they call the servants that will serve you in heaven. They are the seraphim. They're the ones that protect, but Allah put children on the gate of heaven, 
between the plane of what you refer to the plane of force and the physical plane, the transition from Malakut to Nassau, he put a cherubim on each east, on, on the eastern end of it, the entrance back in to the Kaaba and up. So that man cannot just reach in because of his power and take out the key to eternal life and live forever in this ignorant state. But he said, from time to time, I will send warnings to you. And they will bring messages and signs to you that you may come back and that you may remember who you are and rekindle the Lord in you that you may re-enter into the abode of Malakut where you, Adam, was originally created. You see? So the cherubim are now bowed in earth to conceive every time the woman seed conceives. And his vow to prove to Allah that man is not worthy of the throne, Ashr, that Allah gave him in paradise. And the seraphim, who are headed by Mikhail, have come to your aid many times. The third angel that visited Abraham was Mikhail. The one who visited Moses at the junction of the two now was Mikhail. The one who sent the dove down to Asa and Miriam was Mikhail. See, remember the cable said, and we, when we came to Mary, Mikhail was there also. And then Jehovah took on the form of the Bashar, the human being with skin that he can go into her to conceive this being that is half seraphim and half mortal, which is called Jesus, and you turn him into a god. So what you've done is you've taken the extraterrestrial beings and they become terrestrial when they come here. They are really celestial beings who become terrestrial here and you call them angels and gods and all kinds of things that make you feel good. So, you understand now who the cherubim are? The cherubim are the Kafir from prior to the creation of Adam. Okay? Thank you. We will continue with the man of the hour, Dr. Malachi G. York, the reformer for this day and time, right after these messages. All Eyes on Egypt presents the Holy Tablets, backed by popular demand, written and transcribed by Dr. Malachi G. York L., the receiver. This is the scripture that is divinely inspired that will bring about a long overdue change. Like the phoenix bird rising up out of its ashes. Up, you mighty people, come forth like Lazarus from the tomb. This tablet is food to feed the hunger and to nourish the soul, to give it strength. Rise up, stand up, be counted amongst the people of this world. Be the first to get your copy of the Holy Tablets while supplies last. At All Eyes on Egypt, Monticello, Georgia, 706 468-2319. Tune in to the El Holy Tablet Show every Friday and Saturday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on WGAG Radio. Hey man, hey, hey bro, hey bro, man, hey man, I see you think I let got that book in your hand, man, written by Dr. Yo, man, where you get that book from, cuz? the man, I've been on live, I've been on eBay, I've been on Amazon. I've been on some of them goddamn bootleg ass Dr. York sites and shit, man. These motherfuckers charging goddamn damn near rent money and a goddamn down payment on a house and shit for some of them Dr. York books, man. It's hard as hell to find a goddamn one. Then I went fucked around and went on goddamn Amazon. They were selling all the tablets and shit for a goddamn. It was a goddamn notebook. It was a goddamn goddamn holy tablets and a goddamn binder, man. These motherfuckers charge like six, seven, eight hundred dollars for these Dr. York books, man. Hey, man, what can I goddamn get me one of them Dr. York books reasonable, man? You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about like at least 
Goddamn, I'm coming here. Shit, man, these motherfuckers, man, these motherfuckers really motherfucking charging out the ass, y'all. I need a legit place. Where the fuck can I get me some Dr. York books at, man? That I won't motherfucking goddamn go broke over. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. Does this sound like you? Well, of course it does. Or, matter of fact, it did until you found out about All Eyes on Egypt in Monticello, Georgia. That's right. All Eyes on Egypt in Monticello, Georgia. You don't ever have to worry about where is your money. Who can you speak to? All these bogus, fake, bootleg sites that are perpetrating and pretending that they're selling Dr. Malachi's New York books. And even if they did... They're not selling it at an affordable price. Don't go to no one else. No one. No robots, no websites, no none of that. Get all your Dr. Malachi's New York books right here at All Eyes on Egypt. Man from Planet Rich is at $19. The L Holy Tablets is at $70. Also, let's not forget the Sacred Wisdom of Tehuti. That's in right now. Get it now while you can at $25. So much more. The Right Knowledge Series, the Christ Series, the Mohammedism, the Mosism, the Christism. We got everything. The Luciferian Conspiracy. Everything's written by Dr. Malachi New York at a legitimate, affordable price in a legitimate store authorized by Dr. Malachi New York himself. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. And enjoy the rest of your life knowing that all eyes on Egypt and Monticello, Georgia is dependable, trustworthy, and authorized by Dr. Malachi New York. Why wait? Pick up the phone today. Call 706-468-2319 and speak to a live person. Only at All Eyes on Egypt, Monticello, Georgia. That's all eyes, E-G-I-P-T-G-A dot com. Call us today. Now welcome back to the man of the hour. Time for us to show forth the other side of the world. And that principle has always been raised amongst the ancient Mitzrayim, you want to call them that, Kemet, you want to call them that, Tamara, whatever you want to call us. The principle is called Mat. It's the first principle of every order. And the sacred gathering spot is called Washet. Has been translated as Karnak, Aswan, but the sacred spot in the sacred temple was called Waset. You hear me? And the symbol was called Mat. Mat has been often interpreted to mean justice. I think in the Islamic world, the best interpretation of Mat became Jihad. And those amongst them that were physical took jihad to mean physical war. And those amongst them called the Mutasawa or the Sufi took jihad to mean a spiritual struggle inside of himself against justice or injustice. Quran even said injustice and impartiality will not be tolerated. So the symbol that you raise is the ostrich feather. You may have noticed it in the hieroglyphs. Many of your ancestors or deities have the symbol of the ostrich feather, and that's called the mat. That's the foundation of all the mystical orders worldwide, be they Native American, Freemason, Essien, Magus, Knights of Columbus, Shriners, Theosophical Society, Astara, Rosicrucian, all go back to the 
mat. And this is why they say one of the first things that was created was the quill. The quill, which is the pen, did all the inscriptions of the Greek deity, Tahuti, was the ostrich that they carve it and they use it, the scribes, to write the many books of ancient Egypt that most people today have forgotten. But that was our symbol. Remember that symbol, Matt. It represents the struggle with inside. That's why they chose a feather, because a feather is a very sturdy object, but in wind it fluctuates. But it will flow with the wind. You notice the Native Americans put feathers on their islands to make it stairway, stare straightly. Well, in ancient Egypt, that same symbol represented staring the cock and the bar through these troubled times, these winds. They call them sentimental winds of life when the pressures come down. The person that has a strong inner side survives. The person that has a, a weak inner side falls to the wayside. Always. Those people whose principles in the WAPO are based on a spiritual thing who survive any changes. Just as those people who are Ansar, who are Ansar and spiritual, regardless of where the surface went, they were still Ansar. Whether we was calling ourselves Hebrews, or Nawapians, or Native Americans, or Cowboys, whatever we called ourselves, because their roots in what we were doing were in the spiritual. Not in, the, not in the physical appearance of being a Muslim, wearing a targia, wearing genitalia. That wasn't where they were at. They were there spiritually. They were a cosmos. They were a part of the cosmos. The utterance. That word that stirs inside each one of us. And they get anchored in the word. And the foundation of it is the word is true or false. False manifests in the physical, truth always in the spiritual. Because you can't lie in the spiritual sense. You cannot lie to the soul because you cannot lie to the self. And that's why in the language, Hebrew they had nafish and an Arabic nafshi. And he had combined the word spirit and self as one word. You could not lie because you cannot betray your spiritual self. You will tell yourself the truth. So you are your best master. Because you are your best God. Because you cannot lie to God. And the only being that you come in contact with that you cannot lie to is yourself. So God, therefore, becomes the judge of the judge. That's why he said, I am that I am. Repeated, I am Christ. I am that I am. He said, oh, I am that which I am. Oh, I am whom I am. He identifies his outer part, his outer being. And it's inner being. You never told his name. When they ask you his name, say, I am that I am. You have to learn the principle that I am that I am. That it means what you see is what you get. It's a very simple thing. It sounds complicated. They've turned it into all these different mystical interpretations in the Kabbalah of the Jews, but simply means I am that I am. No more, no less. So cosmosis, and we're going to spend this evening, before we go into the ritual, is to ask you questions about the spiritual. Be careful, because there's several levels here of cosmosis. Everybody's not on the same level. So you can't ask me questions and expect me to answer questions 
from the white or black level and then the crimson level will be getting answers to lessons they haven't studied yet or degrees they haven't gotten into. So you have to be wise enough to have the question vague enough that I can answer it vague enough in order not to probe into what is not uh, ready for certain people who have not raised to that degree yet. Alright? Any questions that you want to... I know one thing everybody keeps asking me, let me add this, is in our principles it says you got to take a long walk on a short path. You say, what do you mean by that? What it means is, I said that back in, uh, way back in 1970. What I mean by that is we had a very short period of time to take a long walk. It takes most people a lifetime to be just a Christian, or a lifetime to be a Jew, or a lifetime to be an Egyptologist. And I said, well, between now and 19... I'm sorry, between 1970 and the year 2000, we have 30 years. We got to take a long walk on a short path. The short path was 30 years. The long walk was the amount of information and the amount of schools of thought that you would have to go through to be transformed from mortals to immortality, transformed back into gods back into deities, back into nothing. That was going to be a long journey on a very short path. That's what it meant. If you want to be a good cosmos, you've got to learn to take a long walk on a short path. And most of you who've walked with me for years have gotten so much information that it baffles the normal pedestrian when they encounter you on the streets. How could you possibly know that much information? The answer is, well, I took a long walk on a short path. And you're still on just one of the long paths is taking you to a short end of a stick. <laughs> any, other, any questions? Yes. Maybe so, her what, what do we do about the knowledge we didn't get, like, for people that came when we were in the Waffle, how did the knowledge from the other schools behind us affect us? That's such a good question, it's frightening. Because what I found out that you have two types of old times. I should say years ago, old times are faithful but not true. You have two types of old times. Those that were rooted in the community physically, again, those that were rooted in the community spiritually. Those that are rooted in the community spiritually have a lot of spiritual insight of the things they learned from me over the years. And that's their strength. But those that are rooted in the community physically were looking at me the way Musa looked at Al-Khidir and thought they knew what they was looking at. And thought they was figuring out what I was doing. And as we get down this far, some of them look over now and see they never really understood the man they was talking to. You follow? So some of you people who just got here will never be able to have those schools. And you should have had by now spiritual masters raised amongst us who had taken that long walk on a short path 
and been able to come and instruct y'all in the many experiences that they went through while walking that path with me. Unfortunately, so many of them didn't because their hearts weren't in it. They were just here physically. They weren't here spiritually. They never really heard the message. You with me? So you missed that, those, those tyrannies. It doesn't mean, believe me, that old times are good. That's not true. Both of them are faithful, like I said, but they're not true to me. And they'd be the first one to stab me in the back. You follow? Because they were not groomed to be true. They came out of a world where dishonesty and self-preservation and self-righteousness and ego was the reigning force and introduced them to a culture like the Ansar Law tried to introduce which meant restraining yourselves from the world and the families and everything else to prepare yourself. Most of them couldn't do it. They only pretended they did while it was in Ansar and they were still on the phone and still doing all the things they were told not to do. So they never really got the spiritual side of what I was teaching. And we opened the Sons of the Green Light years ago for the Sufi and we started and we had to stop because people were taking the lessons and giving to their loved ones. And passing it to their wife, it was my wife, so it's okay. It was my husband, so it's okay. And the spiritual masters came to me and said, they are dishonoring the secrets. They're not keeping them sacred. So we must go underground again. And that's why I fold. And we had hopes in this time that it will come forth again, but we're short on time. A little bit of time to get the job done when it's time for us to raise again. And if people here can keep the secret safe, then things will be revealed to them. As of now, I haven't really opened the doors to ancient Egypt to you and given you the secrets that we have kept sacred for so long in Washington. Knowledge that you're supposed to know about yourself and how it all happened. I haven't done it as of yet. I talk about history, I talk about science, I talk about the creation and destruction of the world, but I haven't pulled that elite group aside and passed on those secret words, the word that Asif wanted from Ra so bad, the secret words of the Freemasons have been trying to get that gives you that power of divinity. I can't pass it on to people are ready. And you'll know when you're ready when you become your own judge. You follow? So it doesn't make no difference if you was here 20 years or 20 minutes. If you intend to do the right thing, intend to work by spirit and not by body, intend to involve, become a part of the rays of the sun's light, it'll be easy and you won't have to miss nothing. But if you come here and you just want to be a part of a mystical order because it makes you feel spiritual, you don't take your initiations, you don't follow the instruction, you don't do anything to that is subscribed to in the lessons, then you're just wasting my and your time. And it's just something else to do. In the Freemason Lodge, there are those that are serious, and there are those that just buy their way through the three degrees. You follow? You just read them and they just walk around in masturbation with a ring and a symbol, and they don't even have a clue of the secrets and the hidden meanings of these things. None whatsoever. But they think they do, they go into fraternity, they go to the large meetings, they go to conventions, they put on the apron, they put on the, the, the three great lights, they took their Bible conference in square, and they learn certain of the triad 
terms they use, you know, from degree to degree as they raise, but they don't, none of the, and they never passed the royal ark and turned right, they passed the royal ark and they hit with a light in their eyes. And that light I spoke about several times is a blinding light. On this side of intellect, light is blinding. And the way to teach a student is to teach him about the light. Tell him the light is the knowledge, the light is the intelligence, the light is the intellect, the light is the God, the light is the way, the light is this. But light blinds. Darkness don't blind. And all Freemasons are blindfolded. As I mentioned just yesterday. And while they're blindfolded, in that period that they're waiting in the lodge, for someone to remove that blindfold, the inquisitive mind starts to work. In the darkness, the mind starts to speed up, starts to race. What's going on? What's going to happen here? What's coming up next? What's going on? Who is this? What's that sin I smell? What's this here? This wood? You understand? Why the cable tore? Why my leg, one past leg raised? Why this? Why that? You follow? That's when they're divine. Once they remove the blindfold, then they're blind. When you hit them with the light of Freemasonry and start giving them the principles of Freemasonry and start giving them the tools of Freemasonry and they put the Bible in their hand and they point down on the altar and they open the Bible and there they put a compass and a square and they look down and say, these are the three great lights. And they look down at them. When in actuality, three candles are surrounding the altar and those are the real three great lights. When you have the person look down, they point down, he looks down, looking away from the three candles that represent the three suns, they know right there that he is blinded by the light. And that light is the compass in the square and how they will build this Bible around him and reshape him from a God into a mere man. You understand? So in our order, all the symbolisms, all of the uh, tools that we use, all are geared towards being able to see in the dark and avoid the beam of the light. You understand? Yes. How do you know once you reach that point of the light? Then what? See? See the word? See the word? Enlightenment? <laughs> I'm just saying, see how they did it? You want, I'll tell you what. When you get to the point in the enlightenment that in all that you read and all that you study, you still feel there is a... What's the word? Say it again. A void. What follows void in the Bible? Void and darkness. Once you finish all the studies and all the religious dogma and all the arguments of who is here first and who's the greatest and genetic this and science this and then you still are hungry for something. You follow? And that is the spiritual journey from void into darkness. And in darkness is tranquility. They taught you the prince of darkness, the devil, is evil. See the reverse? And the light is right. The warmth bathed in the light. 
And in Tunisia, what they had was the three sons that you know as what? Shemesh, Utu, and Asu. They had them as Atum, Atun, and Amun. And those are the three lights that you see in the Masonic Lodge representing the three candles, or even on the floor of our lodge, the Muktep, the three candles. You only need to light a candle if you're in the... Let me ask you about that for a minute. If you're in the dark, are you with me? And the dark is ignorance, absence of intelligence, absence of common sense, evil. How do you have the intellect to know to strike the match? How do you know to light the candle to get the light if darkness is ignorance? So you see where the deception came from. The beings that were in darkness knew about the light. People in light cannot see darkness. While you're on earth and you look through the day, you know there's light, but right outside the earth's atmosphere, you know there's darkness. Which is more, the light that surrounds the planet or the darkness that is the universe? So which one would be more likely where the Supreme would dwell? In that light that is contained and restrained within an atmosphere based on reflection or in a boundless universe? In a boundless universe where darkness is. But but there must be intelligence. <clears throat> if that intelligence or if that darkness was transformed into light by combining hydrogen and helium atoms to make them create a cycle to create a sun to send out a beam and explode and create solar systems, there was some intelligence involved there. But that intelligence was in darkness and the results was the light. So void and darkness was intelligent because even in their Bible it says what? Well, what does it say before that? In the beginning, God created heaven and earth and what? And void and darkness upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the surface of the water. Start again. After it was void and darkness upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the surface of the water, the Spirit of God was moving in. And then he said, let there be. And that's when he started the chain reaction of consideration. You know what I mean by that? God created and then had to stop to see whether it would be good. He looked and said, and he saw that it was good. So when things got into light, it did not necessarily mean that they were good. Because God created these lights and then said, saw that the light that he created was so the light was not necessarily good and that's why in Islam they had Noor and Nair and Noor represented the light and Nair represented the fire and therefore that light was not necessarily good it was always as I said years ago independence of how one uses it you can strike a match to light a candle to guide where you can strike a match to burn down the house and kill everyone. There is temperament in light. There is no temperament in darkness where there is no attempt. 
because in darkness, your only fear is tripping over something you don't know is there. So if you hold still and hold your peace in darkness, divine manifests. But where there's light, there's doubt. Yeah? You'll know because your mind will reach a point where you start to say to yourself, there is more to know. There is more to know. That hunger will cause the divine to come forward if you discipline yourself. Yeah? And there is more to know. It's not, it's not, it's not out of reach. It's out of trust. I can't pass the secrets on to you people until I know you're ready for it. They've been protected for thousands of years. You're nothing to pay. Yeah? Yes. <coughs> and just hope you heard. So is it good to uh, sleep in total darkness when you, when you go to bed? Because sometimes it wouldn't make a difference because once you go to sleep, you won't see the light is on or not anyway. So it really doesn't make a difference. Those are religious mythologies created while you was in certain schools on that, what? <laughs> Short path, right? All those jobs. I had to teach you the way they thought in order for you to digest those schools thoroughly. I had to teach you Islam as if I believed in it in order to get you to believe it. Because all it was about is belief. And then we had to get to the point where we had no longer a need for beliefs. If also there it said, don't sleep in dark. Why? Because the monotheistic principle, which is the principles of the physical, and what was void of any spiritual knowledge, is always consumption by fire due to judgment. But in this case, the God of light is not using it for intellect, he's using it as nar, fire. The word they used in the Torah, which they borrowed from the Sumerians, was or, flames, light, in the sense of burning. So this God warns you that if you are not obedient to me, out of whatever other gods that you chose, I will burn you up. You hear me? And you're taught that in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. If you're not obedient to me, on Judgment Day, I will judge you and I will burn you up. So the principles of monotheistic beliefs is fear of being burnt up, being consumed by fire. Meanwhile, they teach you, dwell in the light, stay away from the darkness of ignorance, dwell in the light, and then tell you at the end of the road that we're going to burn you up. If you don't do everything the way I say, do it. It's right, because you dwell in the light. And it's the sun and the environment that ages and kills you. So you're already in that path if you are a physical being. If you are a spiritual being, then you spend the short time that you walk under the sun's rays to raise yourself spiritually past the care of the physical body. And it'll care for itself. It'll sustain you if you stop uh, patronizing it and flattering it and gorging it and stuffing it and painting it and all the different things you do to it where it becomes incapable of performing for itself. You maim your own body. 
You follow? Your body is just a vehicle to carry the spiritual you through this earthly journey. And you're supposed to be raising yourself in degrees spiritually so that by the time you take the garment of flesh off, the, journey, the rest of the path is easy. You just blend back into the rays. You see what I'm saying? So it's not best to sleep in dark or light or light or dark. You, you follow? Because regardless, when you go into that state, past sleep paralysis, into what they call sleep, you don't see it anyway. And if anything is going to attack you, it's because you allow it to and believe it can. All right? Yes? Um, does lucid dreaming or waking sleep have to do with a certain state of consciousness? Say it again. Does lucid dreaming or it's called waking sleep have to do with a certain state of consciousness? Yeah, it has to do more so with the vibrations of the body. The body is vibrating at a certain pace. That's why you have people say, when I'm getting ready to go into a transcendental state, I must drop my body down to alpha wave. Now, why would they go to the first letter of the Greek alphabet, which would be Aleve or Aleph or A? Why would they say, so where is man vibrating? Well, man is vibrating an eighth up. He's vibrating at an octave above. And he has to make that journey down to alpha wave where his body therefore is in tune with the own. Yeah. You follow that? Now in between those, in, in that, anybody, anybody knows the octave is eight tones, right? In that, in that, let's say, regression of sound going down, there are other beings who are able to vibrate in and out. And those beings step within their dreams, because while you're dreaming, you start dropping down. Have you ever listened to a cat? When a cat is sleeping, how it purrs. You ever heard a cat? Anybody have owned a cat before? And a cat purrs when they sleep? You have a certain purring sound? That's because they're dropping down. Human beings usually drop no farther than out of the eight to four, so they stay in what's called sleep paralysis. They're in a paralyzed state, and oftentimes, if they wake up at that point, before their body has progressed to one to start the journey back up for waking up, they'll wake up and their body will still be asleep. And their eyes will open and they will be paralyzed. Thus the term sleep paralysis. And in that state, the body panics. And it goes to the brain and shoots directly to the hippocampus area of the brain and starts to find solutions to things on this side and that side at the same time, and thus hallucination begins. People start to hallucinate, they start to have visions of things, things that they create or have experienced themselves. Remember, man is a creator and thus a designer. So he can design monsters to terrorize him or angels to guide him. He can fly as high as he wants, swim as long, as deep as he wants in that world. In that world, at the fourth level, coming down from the eight octaves. You follow that? So it does definitely have to do with the a mental state, which has to do with the vibrational level of the human being. And human beings have to learn to travel that octave back and forth at random. And that's what Ohm wants to teach people, how man starts at the eighth, drops to the seventh, and sixth, and five, and it's all the way down when, at any given time, you can go into alpha, as they call it. And your body just purr, your heart 
start to slow up. You breathe less, less, and then you start to make that transit state. If you get all the way down to one, you get with me? Then you can get a new boost. Just like when you're extremely tired because you stayed up for two days, you find at the 48th hour, you get, or 20, even the 24th hour, you get a boost and you get this, what they call a second breath. You're working on etheric now. You're no longer working on blood. That extra boost you get when you're extremely tired and driving, all of a sudden you say, I gotta wake up. Boom, you just serve, you're able to drive another 100 miles. That's moving into the ether. When you learn to take these journey, this journey backwards, back into yourself, you follow the journey inward. When you get down to one and you learn to vibrate there, then it's easy for me to take you over into the ethic world. Because on the other side of this one, hydrogen existence starts one ether. And all the way up to eight. When you get to, in the element sense, what can happen? Because the element sense is from hydrogen to eight. And eight is? Oxygen. You see that? A gas is formed. So when you come down from eight to one and go up to ether, when you get to eight ether, you make a transformation into ethereum form, another gaseous form, another form of gas. And you'll be able to travel that, that, that ladder backwards and forward. Then if anything begins to happen to you on the physical plane between eight and one, all you do is drop your vibrational level and transport your essence into the ethic world and wait to see what happens in the physical. If the physical body becomes damaged to the point where you no longer use it, but you have a job to do, you're able to pick anyone from your family who can vibrate on the same, same type of blood, because the liquid is the oxygen, water, H2O, same kind of blood as yours, you could jump into their body to get a certain assignment done. Oftentimes, relatives will come back to a person in their family who they think are vibrating the same, and the person is, becomes afraid from seeing this gaseous etheric image in their room, and the adrenaline produces a serum that cuts off or be, builds a gate where this walk-in cannot get into your body. So your grandmother who came back to get a message to someone who needed them comes to your bed at the head of your bed, but then she turns and leaves. She just says, I'm well, everything is fine, because you close the gate through fear. If all of you have to learn that monotheism created fear to cut you off from the spiritual world. Their whole philosophy, their whole doctrine of religion is based on stay afraid, fear Allah, fear the Lord, fear retribution, fear hell, fear judgment, fear, you know what I'm saying? So you don't stay in a celeste state, a bliss state. You stay in an ever-regretful state because it's near impossible as a predominantly physical being most of the time not to do disagreeable things. Right? And once you do a disagreeable thing, and, you fit, and the law is if you do one sin, you're going to hell, you inherit a new, more dreadful attribute guilt. And enough guilt will make you say, what difference does it make? 
I'm already going to hell. I'm already a bad person. I'm already a disagreeable person. So I might as well not try to make the journey back. And that could not be far from the truth. Once you learn not to fear, once you take on the role of God and take on the responsibilities for your body and your soul and your spirit, those three great principles, that's the three great sins. When you conquer them, you conquer it all. And you can make that journey back and forth. That's what Om is about. Om is not, we've, you studied books and you may have got bored, so well, I've been reading Om, I don't see what I'm getting any spiritual. Because it's about waiting until the people who join Om, because they want to trance a gentle meditation journey, get fed up and leave. And those people who want to stay will be here and then we can get down to business. You follow me? Anything else? you make the intention in your mind to change positions, you must break your chain of thought. Because you have to think, or oh, I'm going to get up and go get, sit in a chair. So which means you've got to start all over again. If you try to get up and pick up where you were at, it's impossible because you put a new thought in between. And that was, i got to get up. Oh, where's the chair? That's the point. That chair's more comfortable. I'll sit over there. Or just over there. Let me get my rug because my rug's a little soft. Hurt my ankle, and then hurt comes in. Hurt, hurt links to a whole bunch of things in the subconscious mind. Wow, I was hurt before. I fell out of a tree. Remember when I was a kid? I got hurt. I got hit by a baseball. Oh, I hurt what? I hear somebody crying. Are they hurting? You follow? And the, the mind is so powerful and works so fast, and it starts to digest that information so quickly that you're off that path. You got to start all over again. You gotta sit down. In the middle, meditate, middle, right? And then start to contemplate and rebuild it again. You know what I'm saying? Believe you me, it's worth the time. If you're too lazy to give that much, that, that extra moment to it, then you're really not entitled to the rewards. Yeah. Can you just explain the traveling from the um, eight octaves back down to the one? I remember I used octave because I was using something I was hoping everybody would understand which is the tone to music. Right. Okay? Middle C would be the most destructive. Right. Okay, now when you're explaining that, um, do you, do you, what um, certain exercises do you suggest to um, get, you, get you able to vibrate on? We're able to travel from the eight octave back down to the one. That's what I'm always teaching. We've just started now. I've just introduced y'all to this tone of own. This tone ohm in the human voice is a replica of the sound of the multiple big bangs that took place. Different explosions in the universe. When they finished exploring, I think in Islam I used to say babies go They remember that vibration as they were coming into existence and they can hear the universe from the other side and they hear things rubbing to create friction, to create sparks, to create life. So they hear chet, and that's why they use the word chet for creation in Hebrew as well as in Arabic, which they grab as usually from the Sumerian doctrine. Or chet in Egypt means that dead body, chet, that dead existing thing waiting for transformation. 
right? Amun is supposed, is supposed to teach you this gradual transformation. First, I've got to teach you how to sit down and focus your energies, conquer the, the material world and the things that surround you that seem to be so important to you. If I look, that's one. Or to give you the power to be able to cook it off because you're in a world where there's a million things you have to do, but be able to have a certain tone or note in your mind that when you hear it, be it own, it automatically starts you on that journey. You follow? This is a process of learning. It's not about saying, tell me exactly, Pop, exactly what I can say so tomorrow I can click it on. If you did make the transition, when you got down to the fourth octave, I mean, when you got down to the fourth note within that octave, all kind of demons that are in your subconscious mind that have been planted in there by the media intentionally, every monster that you've ever been taught to believe is real and did as a child before the mind of logic and evaluation could grow while you were still in an imagination state, every little creature you saw and everything you envisioned, you believe it or not, you stored it in your heart as real. And these are the things that you shape to create your nightmares now that you're a grown man. You just make them a little more sophisticated than they were when you saw them on television. They might have just been a headless creature that was chasing around Daffy Duck in a cartoon when you digested or the headless horseman who scared people with a lantern and no head through Halloween. These things stayed with inside you in your essence. If all that and they're dormant waiting to come out and you can combine them the way you take Mr. Potato's heads and put little pieces together. You can put little pieces of memories of fear and, and traumatize yourself. So you just can't go jumping back there. And that's what happens to many people who join these meditation groups and they're on a very high spiritual level because their mothers and fathers genetically were high spiritual people and they get there and they get possessed. Or they go to a Pentecostal church and they get possessed. Or they go to a Yoruba meeting and get possessed. Or to a Santaria and they get possessed at a Shango meeting or spiritual Shango spiritual Baptist in the islands. They get possessed the first day. Other people sit there and say, why does not bother me? I'm not getting the Holy Ghost. How come I'm not foaming into my mouth? How come I'm not? You understand? Those people was able to make that leap because somewhere within their four generations on both sides, which is eight, again, four on the mother and four on the father, somewhere in that period coming over this way, somebody was very spiritual or someone did, someone dove into Shango or someone dove into Yoruba or someone dove into Voodoo or Bodeh. Someone dealt with some of these things in your family and they have opened a porthole in your genes for inviting souls to step in and they haunt you and they torment you until you learn psychic self-defense and, and how to go back down that channel or that, that semi-vortex and patch that hole up genetically. So it's something that has to be taught to you gradually so you while you're learning to open this channel, you're also learning psychic self-defense so you become a spiritual warrior when you get back there. Because there's beings you will have to fight off this in your mind. And this is why Native Americans often tell people when they're in a sweat lodge and they're going through these, then they're smoking these uh, peyote, they take them on these journeys, and in these journeys they come up against demons and monsters and they'll tell the, the 
chief or maku will tell them this is the demon that's inside you. These are illusions. You've got to defeat them. But when you're standing there, you see a mountain lion perched on a mountain getting ready to leap on you. And you've got to remember that you were taught by your maku or your shaman, whoever, that this is an illusion that you're creating. And, that, and, and it'll get more ferocious as your fear increases. And once you overcome that, then that mountain lion disappears. And then you start a little further down and you come across a tremendous rattlesnake. And you're cornered by this rattlesnake. Because you have seen movies in your lifetime where people were caught and trapped by rattlesnakes and you said, what would I do? And the moment you added the I in it, you planted it in your subconscious mind as being a part of your life. What would I do if Godzilla came over the mountain? You've now instilled Godzilla in your mind forever. What would I do if Dracula had me cornered? What would I do if the wolfman was chasing me through the woods? And that's why they make these kind of movies. Because they know as God that you're constantly taking that unshaped asthma and bring it into a shaped asthma, taking an uncut stone, a heap of mud, and constantly cutting bricks to build this strong character. And in that they must inflict or maybe they must implant all of these kind of thoughts that deviate and take you off the path. They work with us from horror. They work with us with lust. They work with us with greed. They implant all the things in us that interfere with that direct path. You follow what I'm saying? So you have to take that journey gradually, step by step, so that you also put on, as the Bible would say, you put on the armor of God. You see, because you're going to fight the dragon. And you become a dragon slayer. But you are the architect. You are the fastener and the shaper and the former of the dragon. And only you can overcome the dragon when you give back the world of illusion. It's a battle. But it can definitely be overcome. Yes, anyone? Well, okay. um, my question was, when you referred to um, stepping back from the physical and looking at your body or what's happening is just a play, um, should we step back as far as to look at ourselves from above and see our physical body? Or should we like look at it from inside out? Like look at the body as far as this is a me where you say in the mind book, um, these desires are not me. Um, and the other things that you said, as far as should we um, step back as far as look at ourselves from above and try and um, like control our bodies like a playmaster or just let it happen? Um, no, you have to take control of it. But saying it is written in a book so I can introduce the thought. Saying it from the book will not, let it, will not make it happen. It's just when I say something like, this is what you must do, this is written so that you can get an idea of what you must do. You can't read that and use that as the means for which to accomplish it. You follow what I'm saying? You then have to learn the path of finding yourself, of turning yourself inside out, of making that inner journey. And, and believe you me, for lack of a better word, you're not that far away spiritually from what you want, otherwise you would not have been led to this position 
in the earth, you wouldn't be sitting here right now aspiring to find out there are people out there that are roaming endlessly in the Las Vegas mine. You're nowhere near where you're trying to come. So some part of your genes, be it family or whatever, is leading you towards this path for a reason. Don't try to solve it all at one time. This is the first time that I'm even talking to people of Amun one-on-one. Most of the time, I'm preaching fire and brimstone about the coming calamities of the world. And I didn't put time aside for the spiritual people because I was busy trying to reap the harvest of the physical people to get them ready. And I'm finding out so many of them are wasted. They're so caught up in that world, it's a waste of time. It is time to focus on you. That soldier said, that said something that said, the spiritual sons and daughters are gathering. The physical people who gather here every Saturday night. But if you can gather here on Saturday night and be that spiritual person, you rule. You gather here only on Saturday night but have no concern about the spiritual, you're dead. You know what I'm saying? This is just the first time. There's going to be more things happening. More was supposed to happen today with your alignment. Maps are supposed to be set out in the grass in the circles of nine. You're supposed to have certain chance that you can learn to chant. You start getting your body ready for that transition. But nature says it's not ready yet. And we're trying to build a spiritual circle. And we have to wait until so it rains. We can't put the match down have you sitting in water. But we can sit and we can talk and prepare ourselves. There's a journey more than just a little bit you read in the pamphlets. Not far. It's about being ready. Alright? How many people did fast? That's good enough. You're starting, you see. Yeah, somebody wanna say something? Yeah. Um, is there a reason why at the age of I say myself, five around five, six, I was around adults. And I said to myself, they don't know anything. <laughs> And ever since then, I've been looking for a master. Now, I thought I was influenced by, like, you know, I used to be into martial arts, watching karate flicks, and I would see, like, these Shaolin monks and the things they were able to do. Mm-hmm. Or they do on television. Right. Or what they do on television. Right, because you haven't seen none of them do it in reality. <laughs> no, I'm serious, because I studied martial arts many years, too. And you know, you know, you go all the way over there, you don't never see none of them jump up in trees that are 30 feet tall. You only see them in Bruce Lee movies. And when I went over there to study, I wanted to see them do the things that I saw, you know, catch a bullet in your hands and all that kind of stuff. And I was told, that's not real, that's the movie. After I paid the flight over there. <laughs> and so, with them, I said, well, wow, you know, why is it that all these people around me don't really seem to know anything. So from that point on, I started on my journey searching for a master. Spiritual master. Huh? Spiritual master. Right. So you are a master. For a spiritual master or or God, as Mm -hmm. you said. And so, boom, at the age of 19, I stumbled on to you. Um, No one told me. They just went looking. I woke up and it's like, I have to find this individual. And I said to myself, the first person I come to, I'm going to go to them and ask them 
where can I find that's going to be some swamp? And I saw a brother in white. And I said, well, where are you guys based at? And he told me, what's your book? And I said, fine, how do I get there? He told me how, and I went there. And I said, how do I learn? How do I become a part of this? What is this? And he, they, they laughed kind of. They said, don't you know what you're getting into? I said, well, no, but I know that some, you know, I'm looking. And so I said, fine. That's when they gave me my shahada and so on and so forth. And then as, you know, I've gone through, throughout my life, there were certain things that occurred to me that I don't know if it's my mind doing it or what, uh, whether people experience it or not, which is so many times throughout my life, I'll see something, and as if I lived it, I ended my life, and I got a fresh new start, and I started from that point on. And it keeps happening. It keeps happening as if my whole life ended. I lived and died, and then I started from that point on. And it constantly is going throughout my whole life. I mean, like, once a month, it's, it, it, I'll be at a point. I say, wow. And it's as if I lived that whole life, a whole life of existence, died, came back, and then I started at that point. Now, you know what I hear? Is at five years old, you was two years ahead of yourself because at seven years old is when the, the greatest part of a child's imagination comes in. The reason why I use imagination is because that's when they start imagining themselves things that they are not or things that they can be or they wish to fly. Don't everybody put a cape on and dive across the room because they're not, they don't know about a school where they can learn to fly a plane yet, but they're fascinated by flying because their imagination sets in. But that's part of the seven-year cycles that has to do with every human being's zero time reference. Right? Starting at seven and it keeps on multiplying. And one time you did that from nine to nine and, and at first force you did it from six to six, but you're falling back to seven. They've taken away certain of your strands and you're back to seven, so you move at seven to fourteen to twenty-one, I mean to eighteen, goes on like that, it keeps on going like that, twenty-one, etc. So now you probably are having a loop, what they call a spiritual loop, is you are something in your younger life jilted you, and it caused you to speed up in time. It could have been an incident in your family, it could have been a tragic death, and I'm not kind of starting a psychic reading, believe me. It could be any of a number of things that, that gave you that jilt, and it pushed you up two years mentally. And as a, seven year, as a five-year-old, you turned around and looked at people, and they didn't have anything to offer. And, when you, and that's when you made a re, it's like a rebirth. And you went up again, 14, another rebirth. And it keeps on going through cycles like that. As you get older, and, you, and you're a seeker, what happens is these times lap over, and you become fed up. What you're calling starting all over again with life is I'm fed up that this portion of my life is not fulfilling to me. I must find another route. And then that other route takes you to another level. So you keep feeling I'm being born again. I have a new life. You're not the only one that does that. Many people do that. They get fed up with stages in their life, in their own mind, and they write them off as new zero time references, like start again. You're not really starting again. You're really a combination of all of the thoughts and all of the imagination, all the feelings that you ever had, but you feel obsolete ones, and therefore you have the ability to erase them out your subconscious mind. 
But if needed, you can reflect. You follow what I'm saying? That's why you're able to say, well, when I was five years old, I looked around and I saw that the people were not, which meant that you still have stored, you follow that, in that hidden submental part, them stories, those pieces of your life that appeared to shape and form. You knew at that time you was a seeker, that you was not a person on a spiritual path. You didn't know what spiritual path even meant back then. But you knew you was on a journey somewhere. Most people do. But most people get so, we get sidetracked by so much of the advertisements, advertisements and the excitement, the bicycle, the, you know, the basketball court. We get sidetracked by chasing the girls in the schoolyard until we lose the most important parts of our life. If you study back to your so-called religious scholars, they spent from 1 to 13 with masters. And then at 13 was declared a man. And then from 13, by the time they got to 19, they were married and had a family. You follow what I'm saying? Those are what that is all that is still inside you, in your chromosome. These things that happened in your past are still in your present. You're living in a circle of time. Time is not moving forward or backwards. You're a part of it. It's expanding in and out and passing you like waves going back and forth each time. Like if I put a dot in the center, throw a pebble, and it starts to go out, and this keeps going, keeps going, going back like this here, this is what time is. So you have time forces where events can recycle themselves, appear to renew themselves. If all the waves keep going crossing, and you can see it on sound waves, it actually happens, it bounces and they come back off themselves. Well, the human body is vibrating off sound, so we, so we react just like it. And all our thought patterns are sound, they're light, in order for them to become emotions or energy emotion, they work that way. You see? So, just don't feel like you're a stranger. The strange part is over because you was on your way to find a spiritual master. And it took you down many schools of thought, all which are beneficial to you. Because all that you obtained while you was in martial arts is still beneficial to you if for no other reason you learned to take care of your body. You learned how to exercise and train and discipline your body, which will help you discipline the mind. You know what I'm saying? But those are just leaping thoughts. You know, them cycles. They are, you're, you're, you're still in tune with your real self. Everybody is seeking a spiritual master. And sometimes they don't stay with their spiritual master. They're not strong enough. You know what I'm saying? When they find when the master's not saying what they want, like I said before, when Moshe or Moses met Melchizedek, what happened? He what he told him, you're not really ready for me. You, because you're looking at me, you think you see, you think you know what you see. How many times I tell you, seeing is, seeing is, uh, and hearing and reading is, believing. You know what I'm saying? That's why I said, he said, and I went to see those shadows, and I said, well, what you saw on television? <laughs> but that was only what they made us see it, and because we saw it on television, we really believed there was men that could jump up on a building up there, flip back in and flip back down, you know. We really believed it when we were kids, didn't we? And they could take, you know, steel bars and break them with their hands. We didn't, we didn't take into consideration skin and bone and tissues and what they're composed of, you know, or they got their mind on that. They teach you, if you think your mind on the other side of that brick, 
you just got to think through the brick. And you can punch the brick, you can think all you feel like to make these bones, these bristles, and all this, and say, I ain't with you on the brick thing. I'm with you on the exercise and the cottage and all that, but I ain't with you when he comes down to punching your hand through his brick hand. And it won't go through. And then they teach you, but if you really believe in your mind you can break that brick, you'll be able to break that brick. And that's because they have special bricks made. You watch any martial arts instructor when he's training kids, he touched the wood on the grain. You know you broke wood on the grain. When you go pop, it's already got the grain going his way. He can just about sneeze and break it. <laughs> Let me go get a piece of teak wood. <laughs> or ebony. I'm going to see you break some ebony or some teeth. You don't see that, do you? You hit a brick at the right spot and break it. Yes. Okay. Here's the last question, because I know you're up there online. Well, okay. Um, this is a question concerning um, the lesson one that I had some time back, and I really want to get a good understanding of um, it. As I did my first lesson, I noticed I seen a being of uh, Al-Kidur, um, and eventually he went to one eye, and it went to a question of who am I and what am I. I just didn't understand that as far as me writing it in and returning it. But I passed and went on. I just really need to understand it on my first lesson, one in my second and third one. All right. In the first lesson where it tells you about how Melchizedek will come and visit you, you follow? Had it not been told to you and you accept it, it may not have happened. Did you follow that? Sometimes to make an event take place, a person, especially a graphic person like we are, must be told the event. Um, if, there, if you were not taught about a God, could there be a devil? So the principle of teaching about God graphically creates a necessity for a devil. And in the event that a devil is totally eliminated from the subconscious mind, then there'd be no need to call him God. So you create a scenario that takes a person to another level. And so you say, you know, you are capable of being visited by Melchizedek. You, are, you have that ability once you bring yourself to a certain level. And the deity in you will bring Melchizedek to you. Yes, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We'll make that happen. So the first lesson of people who made that kind of contact, those people connected an etheric core directly to me when they did that. And thus I can get through their etheric core into their dreams and into their life on various occasions to guide them. Those who blocked it because they didn't believe it possible did not allow me to make that etheric connection to them. Thus, I can't get through the etheric cord to make contact with them on a spiritual level. I only meet them on a physical plane. Their first lesson was making a link, a sushila, as the lesson explained it, a chain link between me and you and me and the universe to you. I'm the connection to the inad, the nine inads. And that connection is through me to you. That's what that first lesson is supposed to do. It's supposed to link us. 
And sometimes we tell people, if you didn't get that first lesson, don't be so hasty to get more books. Go back and study it until you grasp not so much of what the words are saying, but until you have that vision. I hear you. Is that, a, is, that, is that an actuality? It's an actuality to the person it's happening to, and it will be a dream to a person who's looking on. Because both worlds are real. Why don't I'll explain that. If you can have a nocturnal emission, which means that while in a dream state, you can actually have a physical reaction, then there's definitely a connection between the physical. You can actually, in, in the university, when students sleep, we pour water in their hand and they pee the bed. Yeah, we did that stuff too. And your body can actually make a link while you're in your dream a person can step into your dream physically because sometimes when you're laying in your bed and about to wake up, if your brother comes in the room, he becomes a part of your dream and then you wake up. This is not so that only a spiritual being can do it. There's a doorway left open for beings to get into your dreams if you welcome them. And if you don't welcome them, but the hippocampus area of the brain starts to hallucinate and you start bringing things into your brain that you don't want there. And they traumatize you, chase you, and you wake up in a what? A full sweat. How come your sweat glands is activating if you're just, if it's all imagination and no reality? You would be imagining that you're sweating and wake up dry. But the fact that in a dream state, as they call it, you are actually having a physical reaction tells you that those two worlds, uh, what do you call it, mesh and become one. You hear me? So it is a reality. And the people that have, have me visit them when they need me and have me visit their relatives when they need guidance and their mothers in the hospital and the different things, it is real to me and to them. And those people who sit down before their affirmation and in their own when they make that spiritual connection with that letter they send me and they put their hands on that letter, we connect right up with each other. And I send energy through that. The stuff you're doing to own through me to you. That is real. Right? Right on. What do? نشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الوالي الكريم وصلى الله على أنبياء أجمعين والمسيح والمحكي والمجدد لمن مرسلين أما بعد Are we not the bearers of witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it? And that he is alone and has no part and that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the sustainer of all the boundless universes all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the generous eternal friend and send salutations of Allah on all of his prophets and his apostles and on the Messiah the anointed one and on the Mahdi the God and on the Mujahid the... <laughs> 
وحده لا شريك له الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الوالي الكريم وصلى الله على انبياء اجمعين والمسيح والمحسي والمجدد لمن مرسلين اما بعد Are we not the bearers of witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it? And that He is alone and has no part? And that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sustainer of all the boundless universe. All gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the generous eternal friend. And send salutations of Allah on all of His prophets and His apostles and on the Messiah, the anointed one. And on the Mahdi, the God, and on the Mujaddid, the Reform, which was all sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. The man of the hour, airing seven days a week at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On WGAG Radio. And now, the true life, featuring Ex-Sayyid Al-Imam Isa Al-Hadi Al-Mahdi. Concerning the ancient Egyptians in terms, of the, uh, in terms of their religious wisdom, I was wondering how they came up with ideas such as the soul of a man being the life force, uh, one supreme eternal life energy being. Because? The word Egypt today was not the original name. The word was Mizraim, which is the word Muslim in Arabic. Mizraim, as you know, was one of the descendants of Noah, from his son. Correct? Yes. And they brought the teachings that Noah had from before the ark over into Egypt. Nothing unusual. That's why the stop they say in ancient Egyptian book of the dead, we find story of creation and story of the flood. Yes. Read the Bible, you find out that Noah's descendants, Mizraim, his son, Mizraim, Cush, and Ham migrated into Africa from Asia. And Mizraim is Egypt. That's what it's called. Egypt is Mizraim in Hebrew. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it's not unusual for them to have the doctrine. They've always had the doctrine of monotheism there. It was the influence of other cultures that made them sell out. The same way the state says, for instance, take the Ethiopians now. Right? They're being converted from Coptic Christianity to Pentecostalism. Why? Because they're starving to death, and the Pentecostal will come in here and feed them. And food converts people when they're hungry. They come in with this food and medicine, and they just convert whole countries and histories with thousands of years of culture into the new Pentecostal church and have them almost worshiping Jimmy Swaggart. That's what they do. And that's what they did back in Egypt. The invasion of richer cultures when Egypt was going through its drought period, and it's going to be going through another drought in the next five years, when it was going through its drought period, It caused them with their guard down. Different invades of Hittites and other tribes influenced their culture. Okay, my next question is, um, you said that you got the Sukhuf out of the, uh, one of the secret chambers at the bottom of the pyramid. Is that correct? No, it was given to me by a man named Mahmoud who got it from the bird. Yeah, I was incorrect. I'm sorry. You said the Sukhuf was in the uh, sacred chamber of the pyramid when Noah's flood took place? Yeah. So my question is, if that the Egyptians are the descendants of Noah, how were these pyramids built prior to the flood? So the pyramids were built by extraterrestrials, okay. not by men. Men assisted them, and they have found mummified extraterrestrials. They found them. You know, they did have them. 
nothing new. The British Museum has a lot of things that they don't even bring here. And the Canadian Museum has one also, by the way. So what was the purpose of the um, extraterrestrials building these pyramids? They were schools. The pyramids were schools of thought, but they taught. The masses met there. And those, all those pyramids are linked around the world. They're magnetic centers. Each pyramid creates a magnetic force field to charge ships that pass over, which we all refer to as a flying source, we call stopic fire. Right? It's yeah. fire by it's charge. That's what the Bermuda Triangle is also a school. And it also has a permit of electricity to charge the ships. That's why they always find UFOs hovering over the pyramid or over the Bermuda Triangle or over large places where there's a lot of electricity to charge themselves. Did they teach men? Yes, they taught men. They taught Nubians. Yeah, they taught them eye operations and brain operations and things that modern-day scientists are confessing existed in Egypt before they knew anything about it. They're saying, now we know that these Egyptians and these people in Africa were doing great surgeries and having tools to perform brain operations that we just got into this year. how they do it? Well, they were taught by extraterrestrials who are far more advanced than mortals on Earth. Were they taught religious wisdom also? Religion in what respect? Because Al-Islam is more than just a religion, it's a way of life. Yes. In respect of um, the oneness of Allah? That's emphasized. That point is always emphasized. The elders are called the Elohim. So they had that knowledge prior to uh, Noah. Trillions of years before Noah. This planet is a planet of babies compared to extraterrestrials from other galaxies. No, I'm not talking about the extraterrestrials. I'm talking about the people that were taught by extraterrestrials. Oh, yeah. Yeah, before Noah. So there are actually two sources of the religious wisdom? Oh, they're all the same. Because Noah was visited by extraterrestrials. Okay. All right, I have a question on another subject concerning Canaan. Was Canaan born with a soul? Yes, he was. At what point did the white man lose their soul? Well, Canaan was not a white man. Canaan was a black man. He was albino. He was albina, we call him. Okay. They got up into the mountains, and they was born their soul because if you read the book, you find out that some of the 200 fallen angels came into Canaan's 11 sons, not Canaan. Mm -hmm. When his wife and him fell out conceived, their sons were possessed of demons. It was at that point that they were sold. Okay, thank you. My question is, if, if our purpose is to get back to the state where the Creator wants us, why are some brothers and sisters not being able to see the truth? Don't want to see it, don't want to hear it? Because the devil did a real good job. So the devil is the one who put the veil? Yeah, the devil has done a good job of, of making them want to be what he is. And he's a failure. Every one of his societies always looks rich, but it always fails. Rome, Greece, Mesopotamia. And this society here is beginning to fall apart. The interior is falling apart now. Watch the news. So our people are afraid as men to stand up on our own and build our own nation. We're just afraid to. We've been living under the white man so long that we feel comfortable under his arm. We're afraid to stand up on our own and go for it. And we can do it. So it's the white man that put the veil on, on, the, on the eyes so they won't see or hear No, Allah comes upon Allah, Allah, Allah will seal anybody's heart who seeks disbelief. If you want to find a reason not to be a Muslim, Allah will help you not be a Muslim. I see. If you want to look for a reason to say, I'm going to find fault in Imam he'll help you find fault. I'm going to find fault in the community, he'll help you find fault. If you say, I want to find righteousness in a person, he'll help you find righteousness. If you look at a person and say, I want to find good in that person, he'll help you find good. If you look at that person and say, I want to find wrong, he'll help you find wrong. You can do it. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I have one question, and it's on a, a verse in a portion of the Quran. 
where uh, Allah commands a people to be as apes. Can you give a, a definition or an explanation of that? This quote is talking to the children of Israel, and it says that because they violated the Sabbath, right, that they shall be as swine and apes. And that's because in ancient Israel, you remember Jesus, he used to cast demons into swine. You follow that? In ancient Israel, the symbol of the ape and the swine was always a symbol of something possessed by demonic things. And he was telling the children of Israel, because they violated, maliciously violated the Sabbath, they will be cast down to the level of swine and ape. And that was a curse that was placed on them, which manifested, that's like we were talking about earlier, in their curse of leprosy. See, people think the Sabbath started with Moses, and it did. The Sabbath is back in Genesis, when he said, and on the seventh day, Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, ceased from creation. He didn't stop and go to sleep like they say. He ceased from creation and that evolution or things evoluting to place. And that day, that seventh day, is the seventh thousand year of creation. We are only in the sixth thousand. On the sixth thousand years, the devil's ruled up. He got his curse before that. And he is like the swine and he's like the ape. That is him. Um, in regards to that previous question about, on the quote, Magnum Man and all those different um, types of so-called, um, Pre-prehistoric. Pre right. Yeah. Um, how do you explain the different artifacts and you know, the people that were found? Like not people, but you know. I don't bother to. See, the difference between me and most people is I don't bother to explain them because of the fact that I believe in what Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says in the Quran. So I'm not looking for a reason to believe what some white boy in 18th century named Darwin said. I'm not interested in what he said because I already believe in the Quran. Now, I've written a book about it, and I've attacked the subject for those people who have a little bit of faith, trying to strengthen their faith. Personally, I'm not the least concerned with their findings, because I know the white man made the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, and inside the caves it looked real to me and you. I know he can fake all kinds of things. He made the mummy movie, and we can forget while watching it that we're watching the movie. And you personally have never seen any of them, personally, and if you did, you didn't have the knowledge, because he didn't approve of it, for you to be able to analyze them yourself. So all we have is his say-so, right? So the choice is between, do we listen to what this white guy in the 18th century says, or do we listen to the creator of the heaven and the earth? I prefer to listen to the creator of the heaven and the earth. So therefore, I don't even put myself in a position to analyze stones and rocks as our descendants because the Quran doesn't go that way. The Quran makes it clear that Allah created us. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And when we start to probe, we're showing doubt on Allah. When we start saying, well, maybe it's true, then we have to confess we're not Muslims then. We're still not Muslims yet. Because when we become Muslims, we no longer question or doubt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in any kind of way. And if he didn't say that, then it don't exist. He says he created man. So that's what it is. You follow? That's how I look at him saying. Every man has his own right to look at it his own way. I look at it as Allah says it in the Quran, and that's what it is. Because I don't doubt the Quran. And the moment I start to question it, then I'm no longer Muslim. Because the Quran says don't doubt it. Assalamu alaikum. I understand from reading some of Imam Easton's pamphlets that the Gospel of Barnabas was excluded from the Bible because it had too many truths in it, correct? And the other day I bought this book from um, one of the brothers, this Gospel of Barnabas. And I read in here that um, before the day of judgment, there's going to be 15 days where there's a sign for each day. And afterwards, like, after he explained that what was going to happen, he said on the 15th day that the 15th day the holy angels shall die and the law alone shall remain alive to whom be honor and glory. Is that true? 
in the book of Revelation when they say we're going to wipe away the heavens and wipe away the earth and bring in a new heaven and a new earth, correct? Mm -hmm. It also says every man must taste death and then he will return to us. You see that? Mm -hmm. Every angel and every man's light will go out that the only light that shines on Yawmut Akhri is the light of Allah. And then those who will be rekindled with light will be by the leave of Allah. So the answer when they say the holy angels will die is to say that the light of the angels will go out just like the light of the souls of every man will go out on the last day. And the only light that will shine will be the light of Allah. And then he will select those people that will come back to eternal life. Ah, That's why they say wipe away the heavens and the earth. When they say wipe away the heavens, they say, like it says in Genesis, and, and the host of them. When it says, and now the creation was finished, it's all the host of them. Uh -huh. Well, that angelic beings, when their creation was complete, and then the creation of man. Okay? So when the Lord says he's going to wipe away the heavens and the earth, all the angels and all men must bow. Everything must bow on the last day. Mm. I have another question, Art. Um... And also in the same book, I came across a couple of things that was confusing to me because I don't know. First, let me make it clear to you that that is not a copy of the real book of Banabas. That is a poor translation, but a lot of it is they do have some facts in it. That which I can answer, I will. But we are taking it from the ancient Arabic and putting it in English slowly but surely. But there's so many books for one person to write. <laughs> you see, it takes a lot of time. I have a lot of people working with me, but I still have to proofread and research every individual thing. So I may put preference on a subject. I started doing the books of Barabbas. I have like four volumes out. Then other things, questions stirred my attention somewhere else because I tried to write books according to what you all need to know. Okay. So is it okay if I ask these other By all means. But if it's something that is not, you know, not, not translated properly, I'll just say it's not translated properly. Okay. Um, also in this book it says, if you don't mind me reading a little bit of it, uh, Jesus, peace and blessings of Allah be upon, was telling his disciples that the faithful, it says right here, but the faithful shall have comfort because their torment shall have an end. And the disciples were afraid of hearing this and said, so then the faithful must go into hell. Then he went on to explain whereas that they would be in hell for a little while and that the message of Allah, which is Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he's going to ask Allah this. He's going to say, then shall his messenger speak to Allah and say, Lord, my creator, remember the promise made to me thy servant concerning them that have received my faith, that they shall not abide forevermore in hell. And Allah shall answer, ask what thou wilt, O my friend, for I will give thee all that thou askest. Now, Muhammad will say, then shall the messenger of Allah say, O Lord, they are the faithful who have been in hell 72,000 years. Where, O Lord, is thy mercy? I pray thee, Lord to freedom from those bitter punishments. Is that true also? See, here's you got to understand. When you read Genesis again of the Torah, you find out that you have sun, moon, and stars as signs of seasons and times, correct? That is in the earth plane. That has to deal with earth. When you step outside of the earth realm, then you're not governed by the same time laws. You understand? You say, the person says, I live 76 trillion years. The joke is, you don't know whether they mean 76 trillion years of your time. That's the first thing you say is, 76 trillion years by my time, okay. 76 trillion years in an extraterrestrial world could be 30 years in your time. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, okay. Because as you break the speed of light, time goes backwards. 
When you get outside of the Earth's atmosphere, the time system is totally different. The further you get away from your sun, where you go into other galaxies, like the galaxy I come from, where we have more than one sun, then our time system changes. Y'all have one hour per day, and we have three hours. Three simultaneously clocks going at the same time. Three sets of seasons going at the same time, depending on what galaxy you come from. Y'all always tend to base everything on yourself. Mm. Oh, all right, thank you. Um, I have another question, if I can ask, right? Like, I remember in one of your books you were saying when, uh, in the scrolls, when Allah commanded the angels to come down and from the clay make man. Now, I, I remember reading that the clay, well, the dirt, rather, the earth, like, asked the angels to desist from this purpose. Now, what I want to know is that being that we're made from that dirt, are we in, like, in sense or some kind of way crying out like he did in the beginning? Very interesting point. You know why? Because I've been trying to tell people for years that nature is your worst enemy. Your body tries to get sick. You understand that? Your body tries, you will, your body will pull you down the stairs if you're not careful. It will, your intellect will force you to step on the gas. Your soul yearns to be released from the prison of the bacteria of the body or the clay. And the clay is living cells of nature. That's what they speak about when they say that it, that it spoke towards the law. Every cell in your body is alive. Nature is alive, grass is alive, soil is alive, all these things live, and these things are bacteria that are plaguing your soul. What do you think you feed? You think you feed your spirit? You feed your body, and you will eat bad food knowing that it is bad for your stomach. You will drink sodas knowing that it is bad for your system. You will smoke ganja, smoke marijuana, taking drugs knowing that it can kill you. You will do these things because Nature is man's worst enemy. Nature is not man's friend. Nature is constantly trying to return man to the earth. You understand? Mm. And that's where man makes a great mistake in thinking that nature's on his side. This is what makes you get up in a high place and that flash goes to your mind. I wonder how it would be to jump. But if I tried to push you off, I couldn't do it. Yeah. But the flash does come to your mind. You look around, you're driving your car, there's something that makes you say, ah, a little bit faster. You get there a little quicker. And mm, you start increasing in speed. You forget that you're driving a two-ton piece of steel and glass. And what would happen if you get into an accident? This is nature trying to end your life. So how do we, how do we fight against this? The too? thing is, it is not a part of you. Oh. If you want to see the real part of you, tomorrow morning, when you're washing your face in a mirror, stop and stare for a little while, and you'll begin to get this feeling that the real you is looking from the inside out at the body. Talk to yourself, and you'll make that distinct separation between you and the fake you. The real you is the soul, the fake you is the flesh. Stand in front of that mirror and look at your eyes, look at your nose, look at your mouth, look at your ears, look at your skin, look at the growth of your beard if you be a male. And stare, and stare, and eventually the question will come to you, which one is the real me? The one looking out or the one the one looking out is looking at? When you make that distinction between that soul and that body, then realize that if you did a scale, you do more for your body than you do for your soul. 
you feed your body, dressing your body, plucking your eyebrows, combing your hair, parting your mustache, you stand about brushing your teeth, grinning and checking it, looking at little pieces of cabbage between your teeth. Everything is the body. What do you do for the soul? Someone comes along and says, pray five times a day. Wow, that's a whole lot of prayer. They eat seven, eight times a day. I mean, I watched the person try to, you know, the new bags of potato chips are made so you can't open them. You have to put it in your mouth and rip it with your teeth. You no longer can do it with your hand. You know that, right? Years ago, you take a bag of potato chips, you go rip and you open it up. Now they got this made out of this new kind of plastic that you can't even open. Correct? So you got to really fight to get to this bag with this. You gotta, it really stirs the animal in you. Mm. All of it on the pleasures of yourself. But how much do you give to Allah? Subhanahu wa ta'ala. When a person says, can you pray five times a day for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I work. I'm on my way. I go to school. In school, you make time for lunch. At work, you make time for lunch. But when it comes down to the worship of Allah, all of a sudden, you don't have the time. Mm. Can I, look, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, finish. People pray over their food, even. Oh, God, thank you for the food. And then take it and adulterate it with hot sauce and ketchup and peppers and all kind of stuff. <laughs> then they thank it for it the way it is, and then they add all the poison to it. That's nature trying to destroy you. Believe me. Go ahead. So I want to know, like, like, do people actually, uh, like, talk to the devil inside their chest? Do people actually do that? No, the we... devil talks to them through inspiration in their chest. The devil is the one that makes you put that frown on your face because he convinces you that that will protect you from people. And we actually answer him back and oh, stuff? You, well, you answer the devil in your actions by carrying out his desires. So, in the... You know, let me tell you a story about men. Mm -hmm. I'll show you how the devil works. It's a good time to do it because summer's coming. There's three men standing on the corner and they're talking. They're holding a conversation. All right? They're supposed to be righteous men. They're standing here talking about the Quran or anything. And down the block, there's coming a girl. She has on tight pants. <laughs> These three men, watch their natures, how they change. Now, all of them see her coming from the right. One guy alters his position so he's facing her coming. And his conversation continues so he can look directly at her without pretending he's looking at her. You understand? That's one guy. The other guy, for season, alters the conversation about women so they all will look. The other guy waits for her to pass and says, just look at that film. So he can turn around and look. <laughs> you see, the devil, on the other hand, used all three of those men, three different ways. They all answered the devil's call. One of them was direct. He just turned and looked at her and then made like he wasn't looking. The other guy got everybody to look. The other guy made it look like it was such a disgusting thing to look at that he had to point it out so that everybody would see it. That's how the devil works. The devil just puts up signs and we read them. You follow? Yes. That's his job. The devil is not going to make you do anything. He'll put up the sign and you'll read it and follow. So that's why he's a master of commercials and advertisements. That's his thing. So in like manner, do 
like the the seraphim or the good angels, people as yourself and others, can they speak to us too when we relate back to them? They do. And they're the ones that makes you see a white woman in distress and you step above your narrow mindedness as a black ex slave and step for the helper anyway, because it's right to help her. Mm. Not because she's white and not because she's black, but because it's right to help somebody in distress as a Muslim. Not because they're Christian, not because they're Jew, but because as Muslims, we are Abdullah. We are servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have an obligation to all of his creatures. That's when angels are speaking to you. But when you say I'm a black Muslim and I'm a white woman and I don't care if she suffers, then you're acting like the devil. You understand? Mm. And many people... Be, who are righteous become the devil because they think they're so righteous until they start doing more to work for the devil than Allah. I'm so right and everybody's so wrong, I don't realize how wrong I really am. Many people deceive themselves into evil. So does that mean that we help the... We help anybody that's in distress as Muslims. Oh. So do we help Satan because we probably like keep the good angels from speaking to us every day? Do we actually help him fight them all for something? Or how come they don't speak to us more? Because you don't open yourself to them more. Because you don't call on the citizen until you're laying in a hospital bed. Or until you're in a prison cell. Or until things are going wrong in your love affair. Or someone in your family dies. Etc. Etc. Then you turn and raise your hands to heaven and say, "Why me?" You don't ever hunger when you have a full stomach. But man, when it comes to worshiping Allah and adoration, should always be hungry. So if I hungered more at this present moment, I could actually feel those kind of things. The more you open yourself up to them, the more they'll come to you. They're angelic beings, extraterrestrials, waiting to make contact to guide you. They just ask you, all they ask you to do is stay on severe love. Stay on the path of Allah. Stay on the path of righteousness. That we don't want to do. We want to shuffle and guide and step on and off the path at random. We want to pick them up when we need them and drop them when we don't. It doesn't work like that. It says, he who the Spirit descends upon and resides with him forever. You know him by that. You see that? Mm-hmm. When the Spirit descends... They want to stay with you. Not like Christianity, where people get the Holy Spirit while they're on church and they go home and curse everybody else. Mm. You know, in Al-Islam, when the Aruf descends upon a man, it is supposed to reside with him eternally. He's supposed to stay in righteousness. Got to learn to live Islam. And, and we have an example in Rasulullah Muhammad. We have his sunnah to follow. The way he did things. The way he walked, the way he talked, the way he practiced. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows he was the best of examples for us. He told us to dress a certain way. He told us to eat a certain way. He told us to pray a certain amount of times in a certain way. If we want that guidance, we have to do that. The same thing as if you want to become a doctor, you got to pass certain things. you got to study and pass certain things in school, right? If you don't do it, you won't become a doctor. You can walk around and call yourself a doctor. And there's a lot of people walking around calling themselves Muslims. If you're not wearing a veil, you're not a Muslim. If you're not wearing the sunnah of Rasulullah, you don't have a beard, and you're not doing, if you're not doing the things that Muhammad did, I don't care who you are, what country you say you're from, you're not Muslim. You have know You have to do what Al-Islam calls for to be Muslim. If you don't, you're not Muslim. Look how bad you feel. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I was uh, reading a book, and it was uh, referring to light. 
and it said that light is invisible, but how, what we actually see is in terms of solid liquids and gases. And uh, I was just uh, trying to, you know, I was wondering if you could explain uh, something of that nature because you were saying I wanted to taste that once you could see into the uh, etheric realm of existence, that there's beings that's all around us, but we don't have, uh, we haven't, you know, they have to incarnate for us because we're not able to incarnate them. And uh, I was just wondering if this is why, because... Just a minute, because you're overweighing yourself for no apparent reason whatsoever. <laughs> just turn the Holy Quran to the second chapter. The 255th verse, which is called Ayatul Kursi. And in it, it tells you that you can't see light. Allah, la ilaha illa huwa al-hayu qayyum. Allah, nothing would exist, exist, if it wasn't for Him, the living power, the living strength. You understand? So the word exist means what? To be. That's right. Allah, la ilaha illa huwa. So life can be seen because life exists. And he separated this form of life from himself. So they're not talking about the type of life of Allah. They're talking about the life that Allah brought into existence. And if he brought it into existence, it is perceivable. Okay? address this question to uh, Ali Namisa. Now I would like to know why is it essential that one must move into the Nasara Allah community in order before the year 2000? Unfortunately, because the scripture says we have to, <laughs> because living together with people who have not been groomed to live together is a very difficult task. But in our scriptures, in the books of Revelation, chapter 11, it says, and they were given me a reed, like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the Haikan, which is the word temple, of Allah, which is what they have of course God, and the altar, and what's the next one? And then their worship therein. What's the last two words? There, therein. You see that? Not outside. People say, well, the temple is in my heart. Yeah, but your heart is inside you. So that can't be saying that. As long as I'm a Muslim in my heart, that's what counts. It doesn't say that. It says, have yourself counted with those who are inside the temple. And what does it say about the court? The word court here in the language is dar. Dar means abode or place of dwelling or the place of dar you're in. And what does it say next? But the court, which is? Without the temple, those people who are outside of the temple, what about them? Leave out. And? Measure it not. Why? For it is given unto the Gentiles. And what does Jesus call the Gentiles? Snakes. Vipers. He told his disciples, don't teach the Gentiles. Don't number them with the righteous. That's why. Not because we like living together, that's for sure. Because we have our hard times. But because the scripture tells us we have to. 
Uh, one of my questions is, why is black associated with the devil? Because the white man, as you know, spent a lot of time doing stuff like this. What's the devil dog? A brown piece of cake. What's devil food cake? Chocolate cake. What's angel cake? White cake. Why, what, what color suits do the bad guys wear? Black. What color suits do the good guys wear? White. What color suits do the doctors wear? White. What color suits should they wear when they get dirty? Black. I mean, they spent a whole lot of time making black look bad, and that's all part of brainwashing of this Western world. And the first and most important thing is, watch this. Ready? Let's take a Chinaman, correct? The Chinese worship Buddha, right? What nationality is Buddha? The statue of the Buddha is what? Chinese, right? So the Chinese are worshiping a Chinaman. How about the Indian? Krishna. What's Krishna what? An Indian, right? The Indians are worshiping Indians. The Red Indians are worshiping Red Indians. Eskimos are worshiping Eskimos. We're the only ones that worship a white person. Everybody else in the world worships somebody their own color. You understand that? That was a form of brainwashing. And if now, if Jesus is God and God is white, what are you? in their doctrine as a people. See, if Jesus was white and he's God, then, and we're black, what must we be? We must be the devil. This is subliminal brainwashing to suppress us as a people so we can't see our way to heaven. We can't even construct a mental tower of Babel to get back to the Father because we're God. We're the lowest of the low. We're nothing. We lived in Africa and we was walking around naked and we ate people and one white guy named Tarzan came over to beat all the animals and beat all the Africans in one fight. This is subliminal brainwashing. It must be uprooted. The white man perpetrated that phoniness about black <laughs> being ugly and evil. Uh, the question about, I guess about maybe about two and a half months ago, uh, someone asked the question about shaving. Uh, I know I, I shave because of this job I'm on, and I probably wouldn't have a job if I didn't shave. Uh, then it's wise to shave if you need your job to survive. Allah does not have compulsory in being. If, you, if that's going to deprive you from supporting your family, you follow? Yes. Then shave. Allah knows that. Okay, uh, but the question is, uh, why uh, isn't a Muslim supposed to shave? And if, uh, from, from the outside, that last time, uh, I say a razor is not to be placed upon your head or your face, then, uh, oh, oh. That from us. I don't know who gave you that answer. That ain't one of mine. I mean, because you shave. I use a razor when I shave and trim my bed. I don't know where they got that from. Okay. Right. <laughs> that answers that question. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. I trim my bed. I keep my bed because the scripture says, do not mow the corners of your head. It tells you to keep a trim from a bed. But it, it within my cheek, side of my cheek, I do shave out to here there. Uh, I used to be a student of Dr. Ben, and I'm sure you're familiar with him. Yes, and uh, he'll be working in Cairo, and it's going to surprise a lot of people to find out that he's becoming a Muslim. They're going to be quite surprised that he's converting to Islam. He's going to be working at the university in Cairo. Right? Uh, you're talking about Dr. Ben Zuckerman. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Dr. Ben Johannes. Yes. The yeah. Person. He's getting ready to become a Muslim. <laughs> That's a great thing. Okay, uh, well, uh, in, in, in times gone by, uh, in one of his lectures, he did say that Islam and Christianity was brought onto us by the sword and the gun, and I would like to uh, have a better understanding of that. Sure. If you ever read the fundamental histories of Islam, you'll find out that before Muhammad left in the year 622 to go over to Medina to set up the community, he was the one being beat up. 
They didn't spread Islam by a sword. They were being beat by the Meccans and all the tribes who were in Arabia just because they were trying to teach the word of Allah. They wasn't fighting until after they got to the city of Medina and became a strong community, and then they wanted to come back to their own homes in Mecca, and that's when they started engaging in fights and battles with their own tribal members who were trying to suppress the propagation. Muslims didn't set out to war. She had the perfect example. The Crusades, where was it fought? Was it fought in Europe or was it fought in Jerusalem? It was fought in Jerusalem, right? Yeah. So the Muslims were home, and these people came all the way from Europe over there to fight with them. Yet they say the Muslims spread their religion by the sword, yet the Christians left Europe with swords and came to Jerusalem to fight Salahuddin. The Prophet Muhammad was in Mecca, trying to teach the religion of Abraham. The people started beating on them, they stoned them, they put a brick on top of Bilal, Rezilahu Anhu, you know, they persecuted them. They were put out of their houses, left their families, and moved to another city where they was welcome, lived there, then built a strong party of people, and came back and took over Mecca. And then they said, they spread it by their sword. They never thought about how they were getting beat up in the beginning, like me and you, right? I, I, you beat me up every day when I'm little. I leave and go and train myself and come back big, and I hit you back. Oh, he's violent. They forget that you were beating me up all the time. You caused me to go form an army, you see? And that's how they interpret Islam as being spread by the sword. Nobody is more violent than American Christians. But people don't understand when America goes to a country like Vietnam, they're going in the name of Jesus Christ, because they're trying to spread Jimmy Swagger over at the same time they're trying to take the country. Christianity is the most violent religion in the world. Everybody on the news that you see, even Romney and all of them people, are all Christians. Reverend Sharpton, all Christians. The guys trying to persecute them are all Christians. Christianity is a religion that spreads itself by the sword. Uh, something, uh, if you look around in here, uh, um, like in some Christian churches, if uh, you listen to a preacher on the radio, it says, uh, Bring all the sick, bring all the uh, the uh, the old people, the people in wheelchairs and um, uh, walking with canes and on crutches and all that. And uh, I know we have brothers and sisters out there who are in crutches, uh, wheelchairs and all that. And I don't see any of the brothers uh, that are out there uh, spreading the word uh, of Islam, approaching these people. Uh, I don't see any facilities in here. For these people, what if these, should, these people should have a desire to join into the temple or become Islamic? Uh, what are provisions people. for them? We have people who come in here. We have several families who brought children in here who were considered crippled and couldn't walk. And after being here for a couple of months, we're walking in place. We don't put up that we're no healers because that's not what that's not what the mission is. The mission is to teach the word of the Most High, not to heal people. However, if people need healing, they can be healed. But that's not, I don't stand up as a faith healer, putting on hands, jumping around and all that kind of stuff. That's a big old act to get people's money. And I'm saying, I'm not into that. I'm into teaching people the truth about Allah, the oneness of Allah. That's it. And if they got faith, their faith will make them whole. Any man, he's going to do this. He just said, watch out for people coming like that. They're going to they do so many signs and wonders that if it was possible, they'd even fool the elite. You got to be careful of them because that's what doesn't work like that. Okay? And it is facilities there for people who need it. My question is about the pictures that I see around and the pictures I see in your books, right? What is the significance of including the pictures with the word? That's a very good question. The pictures you see on the wall is real important because if we don't do this, he's going to write them off as white. 
the way he does all other black men pitches. He distorts the pitches and gradually alters the way they look. Next you know, they're real, everybody's real life skin. The same way they did the Cleopatra movie and the Moses movie. And people now think Charleston Heston is Moses. And they think that Elizabeth Taylor is really what Cleopatra looked like. And so what I did is, and you happen to be a child that was smart enough to pull the pictures out. 99% of them are so afraid to touch the Bible, even in that state, that they'd never do that. And they start looking at those pictures as they read the Bible and really think that Jesus lived in the village and had a beard and looked like a hippie. They start getting that white Anglo-Saxon hippie image in their mind of what God looks like. And being there telling that Jesus is God, you know what that means they think they are? When they look at the and see a black face, they think that they see themselves as the opposite of white. If they teach you that white is the opposite of black, then God is white, then what must black be? The devil. So what I've done is said, like me or not, I'm going to start putting images of black people in the books regardless of what anybody says so that the children that read it start to see Moses and Jesus and Abraham and Yusuf and all the people of the scriptures in their real shade and color. The men on the wall are put there so people can remember these great men of our history. Because the white man would love for us to just knock Marcus Garvey and Noble Drew Ali and Honorable Elijah Murray. He'd like to lock them out of our history, but he makes sure me and you remember his history. Because if you reached in your pocket and took out a dollar bill, you'd be looking at a part of his history. And he made sure we had our face on George and, and Abraham and Jefferson all day. He makes sure of it. So I'm not going to be fooling enough myself to say it's not important to me, I'm saying. When I think a physical impression in the mind is important. What a person thinks things are oftentimes has a, a way of affecting the way they react to things. Mm -hmm. I mean, people because see a white guy with a beard, they start little black kids saying, oh, Jesus, mommy. What? Oh, shit. My bad. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit.
take care of my responsibilities. Uh, but I don't refer to it that way. I feel that he does certain things through me so that the things that I need are always there. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I have two questions. The first is concerning how we'll be judged on Judgment Day. Uh, my question is, what difference would there be between, say, a grandmother that died 40 years ago versus someone who is on the street, has seen some brothers with the books but never stopped, and also between a person who might come here to class or even live in the community, how, what difference would there be in their judgment? A grandmother who was here 40 years ago before the truth hit the shores, right, will be judged by her own, what do you call it, her intentions in life, not by her scriptural law. 99% go to paradise automatically. Because they're going to be judged by how they believe as Christians, not how they how they believe now that the truth has come. You follow that? Yes. In that which they did, you can tell. A person is a good, good Christian because they didn't know Islam. Then you know that if they had been Muslim, they would have been good, good Muslim. So they're judged by their heart. That's right. Now, a person who walks the street, sees righteousness, knows it's right, and doesn't accept it, is called in the Quran a kafiruna one who conceals what they know to be true. The translators maliciously translate that as disbeliever. There's no such thing as a disbeliever in the Quran. It's kafirun, from the word kafir, to cover or conceal something. This person in the scripture is classified as like the devil. And the scriptures in Revelation says, we'll be cast into a lake of fire along with the devil, there to abide forever. So those people who see the truth and stall or maliciously turn away, they will be classified as devils, and their abode will be what you are calling hell. Hell is just an script, a way of describing torment, and the torment one will receive is what they think they should get, because you are your judge. And as gross as you think hell is for what you've done, that's exactly what it will be. Hell is like your nightmare, your worst nightmare. You create the nightmare, you talk to yourself while in the nightmare. So when you know right from wrong and do wrong, whatever you think hell will be, it'll be that and some more besides. I'm sorry, I was just wondering, if someone just sees, say, a brother on the street, and they see him dressed in the white, but they don't know what it's all about, they're totally ignorant to anything that has anything to do with Islam, and they pass by, would they be considered a captive because they no, don't take the time? they could be. They'd be judged by what they've done. Only once you know the truth, once you've opened the books and read it. That's why, that's why the first thing said to Rasulullah Muhammad was, Iqra, read. Read. First thing Jesus told in the books of Revelation is he sent this book and signified by his angel. And those who read this book, he says in the books of Revelation, you see that? And understand this book. So the thing is you must read to understand. So those people who do not understand will not be judged as sinners. They'll be judged by their morals, by their own intentions in life. Okay, so if I'm on the street or if there's someone that I know personally that I'd like to try to uh, let them know a few things, maybe suggest to them to read, and they just don't want to get into it, what would happen at that point? 
I mean, is it just over at that point? They're just judged for whatever they know. You are, see what happened is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of all the people in the world, made it possible for you to be in the presence of that person. Do you understand? Yes. So that person is being warned. And they're going to be judged then. You are the warner. See, that's why it says in the Quran, Muhammad is a, a witness over you, and you are a witness over each other. Each one of us, once we know the truth, become a witness, a testifier like Jesus Johnson. I testify of Jesus Christ. That's what he was talking about. So anybody you try to talk to, Allah sent you to them. And if they turn their back on you, they are classified Catholic if they don't listen. But remember, you have to be in full sunnah. Means full example of what righteousness is also. You can't walk up to them in a pantsuit and expect to convert them to a dress. <laughs> you can't walk up to them with a cigarette in your mouth. You know, like parents tell children, they tell children, don't go in the bathroom and smoke. Smoking is bad for you. Uh, honey, go over there and get my cigarettes off the table. <laughs> you can't do that. You see what I'm saying? So your example has to be right. And when you approach them with the right example, when you're right, then they turn away, then they'll be just. But if you approach them and you're not right, fully, and they turn away, you're the sinner, because you brought to them a non-perfected way. I see. Shukran. Pleasure. Peace. Uh, I got a household situation here. I'm living with a Christian woman, but I believe in the Holy Quran. And our kids, we have four kids, and she's teaching them the Christianity uh, lessons, too. Uh, being that that I'm a Holy Quran believer, and she a Christian believer. What will happen in the future with our relation? The reality of that is, when you say I'm a Holy Quran believer, that doesn't say that you're a Muslim. It just says I'm a Holy Quran believer. And what Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam taught us to do is to convert people mainly by our example. You follow that? The example that you have in that house as a good person, the tenets that you would introduce in that house, the laws on cleanliness, or not, not drinking or smoking cigarettes, or your good nature will be more influential. There is no difference between a Christian and a Muslim, really. There is no difference. A Christian is merely saying that God came down to earth as a man, and they call him Jesus. All right? Muslims are saying, no, he did not. He's always been in heaven. Now, when you eliminate those two arguments, okay, you come back to what do Christians believe? They believe that real Christians now, if you're good and good for people, you'll go to a place called heaven. Correct? Right. That good Christians, you shouldn't get drunk, you shouldn't kill, you shouldn't steal. So any of the Christian morals that he is putting into the child is not going to hurt the child. Your father, and the belief of Jesus being Allah in flesh, as the child gets old enough, or the children old enough to understand what they're reading in English, they'll see right through it in the Bible themselves. It don't take much. That's why that room is full of people. Because you people in that room begin to see that someone told y'all a lie. <laughs> you see? And you start to look at the Bible in a different way and look at the meaning. Don't be all messed up about it and wrecking yourself emotionally about it. Be gentle about it. And you study the Bible. Study the Quran, study all the scriptures, respect her for what she believes. You follow what I'm saying? And in time, truth will prevail and false things perish. Right. That's what will happen. Hey! I hope y'all enjoyed that, man. I got some more. Y'all want to hear some more? Say yes. Say no. Y'all want to hear some more? 
Okay. Yeah, I know I'm I'm actually, you know, striving to, like, hold up. Let me make sure the sound is right first because, you know, I'm doing it from a whole other type of receiver. So you are now listening to the true light. I think this is loud enough. Okay. Let me know if it's too loud on the line. All right, hold on. This shit good, Shawty. This is the be- This is the good one now. This, even though the other shit, it was, but this is this is dealing with psychic self defense and a lot of stuff like that. And if you y'all gonna have an issue hearing this first question, and if I'm not mistaken, this woman's first question is. Um, they are saying that um, you worship Satan, or you on that Satan shit. And um, hold on, hold on. Let me let me play it first, real quick, so I can know. And then I'll I'll, I'll tell y'all the question first that she asked him. Give me one second. She said, "I was told that you're serving Satan." She said, I was told that you're serving Satan, and how can you hate the white people and love black? All right? So that's her question, but I'm going to rewind it back. So here we go. You are now listening to the true light of Sa'id al Imam al Hadi al Nasti in a live question and answer session. I was told that um, you're saying you are serving Satan, so how could you hate the white people and uh, no black when God say that he came to save the world? Where does it say in the Bible that God came to save the world? I don't see it. It's not in the Bible. It says right in there that Jesus came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel only. It tells you right to John. It tells you Hebrews. Yeah, 
I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What, did he not stand? Is that still lost? Is he talking to us? He knew that he was sent to a people that had not yet come. That's why he said in Matthew and John that it's better for him to go. Because he had many things to say unto them, but they could not stand them yet. So they could easily say, they could say we worship the devil if they wish. We worship what Jesus worshiped. Allah. Or Eli. The same word. We worship what Jesus worshiped. If they want to say that, they worship Jesus. We don't worship Jesus. We worship what Jesus worshiped. <laughs> Which is the Father of the heavens and the earth. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. That's what Jesus said. Not our Father who was in heaven and has now come down to earth as his son. That's not what Jesus says in Matthew. We were Matthew. Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer concerning the Father. Our Father who art where? Now this is Jesus telling people to pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed or holy be thy name. Is Jesus' name holy then? Or is his Father's name holy? His Father's name. This is what he said. You know what the problem is? People are busy listening to preachers, teachers, and false prophets and prophetesses. There's a whole lot of women preachers out there too now. And they're just making up their own doctrine about the Bible without even understanding. They're, they're philosophizing and opinionating. They're just not using facts. Go directly to the Bible, read it word for word, and see what it says. Jesus right there tells everybody who he was sent to. He was sent to Israel. Was he planning on making a new religion then? No. But the people of Israel already had laws they followed. They followed the books of Moses, Moshe. They followed the laws of Israel. They had certain laws they kept. The 50th day of the month Nisan was Pentecost. So what do these people make up a church called the Pentecostal church for? They had to do with the coming in of the new season in Judaism. And they were never doing those new church. They baptized with water and with fire. The fire baptism was a sacrifice. The water baptism was total submerged into water. Where they get this Baptist church from? Luther was a man who went up against the churches of England and they formed a church called the Lutherans. Everybody bears witness to Yahweh. But it says I have to say God, I can't say to bear witness to him. Everyone bears witness to Yahweh, which they mistranslated as Jehovah and call themselves Jehovah Witnesses. They're not saying nothing to <laughs> and Jesus said, right, when, when the, under Caesar were the Caesar, and under the Lord were the Lord. Caesar was the governor of what place? Of Rome, right? So there's no way you can be a Roman Catholic, but Jesus separated Rome from the kingdom of God. He said, when the, under Caesar were the Caesar, and under the Lord were the Lord. So there's no such thing of a Roman Catholic. So where did you get that one from? Can I keep going or can y'all see the rest of them? They make these things up. Lutheran, Pentecostal, uh, Baptist, Jehovah Witness. They took incidents out of the law and made whole congregations upon them. You know how come they did that? Because at the same time, Jesus told them they couldn't establish the church yet. He said he will build his church. He looked at Peter, Tyson, and said, I'll build my church upon this rock. Using him as an example as a person. He will do it. Not Peter, not Paul. But they went out after him after he openly told these people, what did he say? I have yet many things to say unto you, however, you cannot bear them yet. What? This is St. John, chapter 7. 
season one and there'll be another one. Well, there is. There won't be. There'll be another like Now, you say you'll tell another company. So either the angel Gabriel is going to come to another woman and she is going to conceive another child born in the Holy Spirit like him. You see? Would you make another cover up? Or he meant something else. Somebody else that will be guided by the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Quran confirms. That the angel Gabriel, the Holy Spirit, came to Muhammad while he was in the cave and told him to read. That was that other comforter. The angel Gabriel came to another man, and that man was sent forth into the world with the word of the Most High. That man was called Muhammad. And that word that he had was called Kalima. La ilaha illallah wahtahu la sharika lam. That was the word Muhammad put forth. That Jesus spoke about. That there is no creator except one. And besides him, there is none.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.